Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. And of course, the first rule of Action Radio is don't adjust your microphone in the back of a computer with this five seconds of airtime. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days I can tell. Something on Mondays. I don't know what happens, but uh, it always happens on Mondays because I've had two days off and I've sort of like forgotten how to do this. But I'll see if I can uh, figure it out. We've got our, our guest on the line right now. So let me give here our, our guest welcome. Let me scroll down here a little bit further as I vamp. Our guest of the day, Rebecca Hardy. So we haven't met. We've been talking all weekend. <laughs> we just chatted for a second ago before we came on the air. But uh, Rebecca Hardy is the uh, director of uh, Texans for Vaccine Choice. And she came about this from, from a story I haven't really heard yet, but I want to hear more about, which is from speech, speech pathology into, uh, into this amazing role. So it's nice to hear a fellow advocate. It's nice to hear one of us, you know, someone that's out there doing what we like to do best, uh, which is uh, advocate uh, and increase our freedom. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. First things first, let's give you a cheer. And that's for all your good work. I, I feel like I need to start my day like that every morning with, well, you with should. cheers. <laughs> well, I, 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 could probably, I could probably make a YouTube of it and, and send it out. That way you could just play yourself a cheer every day. But you certainly deserve it. I mean, from, and I, I'm, we're just getting to know each other, you know, so, but I hear more and more good stuff. In fact, a lot of it, but you're telling me, which is great. But uh, for those that, um, well, Rebecca and I have kind of been having this ongoing conversation on, on Facebook and emails. We're bouncing back and forth like crazy. So we're just going to kind of pick up <laughs> where we left off. It's, it, it's uh, it, it's hard to know where. Yeah, sounds good. Well, why don't you actually? Why don't you tell me your story? Uh, and, and you start off in, in speech work. Was it speech pathology? I, I might be assuming you know facts not in evidence yet. But uh, and then you got into to the whole vaccine crisis uh, of uh, you know not healthcare but you know health mandate. Uh, so you want to tell me your story Correct. and then, uh, then we'll sort of figure yeah. it out. Yeah. It's it's Thank just kind of a funny story of you know be, becoming an accidental activist, if you will. So I. Um, I'm a sixth generation Texan and was born and raised in Austin. In the late 90s, I moved to the DFW area of Texas to for graduate school. Um, I went to, I have my master's in communication disorders, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, allows me to be a speech language pathologist and practice for 20 years as a speech pathologist. But it was really those very early years, right out of graduate school when I was setting up my practice. Mm-hmm. that really kind of opened my eyes, if you will, to some of the pitfalls of the vaccine uh, program in America. I was, you know, I like to say that I was a vaccine agnostic at the time. This would have been in mm-hmm. the very early 2000s. And I mean, I hadn't taken a vaccine in forever. It was not, the issue did not have the religious fervor that it has currently. And so I was just, you know, going about my business, setting up my practice. And immediately I kind of got this trickle and then it was a flood of moms that were seeking services for their children many of whom had vaguely similar stories of typical development with their children arrested by a shop visit and you know that was before I was married before I had kids before you know I'd done any sort of deep dive into any of this but I remember going home at night thinking 
something's not right here. I mean, not all of these moms can be wrong, right? You know, even if half of them are wrong, it's too many. And so that I, that was kind of maybe where a lot of seeds were planted in my mind. And then fast forward, you know, several years later, um, I meet my husband, and then we decide to, you know, start our family. And we there was somebody in my life that just said this these words to me. You know, you really need to look into the vaccine issue. That is all she said. Uh-huh. <laughs> she didn't say anything else. But she didn't said, have you, to say you really, anything else. You know, yeah, and I will forever be thankful for that friend because what resulted was a, a deep dive, and I I think that it was at that time that those seeds that were planted all those years earlier from those moms kind of sounding the, the, the warning bell, if you will, really mm-hmm. germinated. And um, so I, I remember, you know, sitting at my computer eight months pregnant with our first, and there was a... I was on the WHO's website. I doubt if this page even exists anymore, mind you, <laughs> because, um, you know, this was, you know, 07, you know, and I was, I was looking at this and I said, Tim, my husband walked by my, my, where I was sitting at my desk and I said, Tim, look at this. The WHO says that 50% of the people that got measles last year in the world were fully vaccinated against measles. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, we're not going to do that. And it was, I mean, I doubt if he even remembers this conversation, but to me it was a crystallizing moment of, yeah, we're not going to do that. And so um, we just proceeded forward making very different vaccine decisions for our children. And then fast forward a few years later in 2015, a state representative here in Texas filed um, what would have been a mandate bill, a bill that would remove the exemptions that school children in Texas currently um, can access and utilize. And that was going to be a really big problem for me personally because mm-hmm. I had two kids at the time. They were in daycare and early elementary, and I, they were, you know, using, you know, those school facilities uh, with the vaccine exemption affidavit that we have in Texas. And so I... Um, I, along with two other moms, kind of that we, you know, just met on Facebook, kind of coalesced and started what has turned out to be the leading medical liberty organization in the nation, and that is Texans for Vaccine Choice. That's fabulous. I should give another round of applause. Let me see. Do I have another one here? Yeah, here we go. Well, it's interesting. Um, something, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, like uh, my daughter's grown now, but uh, when she was younger in the mid-90s, there was another uh, vaccine uh, scare. We had uh, Gulf War syndrome. We had this chemical compound called squalene, which is an adjuvant. It's like an octane booster for vaccines, and it's cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these other nasty things you know about. Well, a lot of things I say for, for audience people that may not be uh, be up on it. And we can. Ex- I'll probably ask you to explain terms because we all get into our jargon and our acronyms. Um, but uh, even back then, and so people say, well, I'm not anti-vax, but, well, let me just state real plainly, I'm anti-vax. I think they're terrible. <laughs> I think they do horrible things. I think they cause autism. I think they, that uh, people are far healthier without them. Uh, you listen to uh, Robert uh, Francis Kennedy Jr., you know, who says, you know, when he was a kid, and he's a little older than me, um, but uh, there was, autism was incredibly rare. Allergies were incredibly rare. Nobody worried about peanuts. We all ate peanuts. Mm-hmm. We didn't care because, you know, we didn't have those problems. And fortunately, and the only ones that uh, my daughter got were the MMR and the DPT, the traditional measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus. And that was it. 
and then they snuck her uh, illegally because I specifically said no, uh, hepatitis B vaccine. And that's when I withdrew from that health program. And this was Kaiser in California. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you people, you, you defied, you specifically went against what I said. We're out of here, as in right now. Um, and so that was that. Was that. I mean, we, and that was the last vaccine she ever got. Um, so, uh, and she's fine. <laughs> you, know, you know, normal, healthy adult. Well, right? good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this you is know, that before. Hep- People forget the 90s, though. They, they, there was this, I don't know, you know how old your kids are, but there was a huge problem then. And it seemed to kind of go away. And then it almost had to come back again. Do you know about that history at all? Mm-hmm. Well, I, there was a lot to unpack there that you just rattled off. But well, yes, that's, I mean, there's, yeah, that's there's me. a, <laughs> this is ADHD. Yes. <laughs> it really is. Hey, I, I can track with the best of them. So, okay, I mean, good, good. Then you're going to be right at we home. Get, we, <laughs> We can camp over in the adjuvant uh, comment that you made because there's Uh a lot of issues with just the ingredients of vaccines that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, We also can talk about the explosion in the vaccine schedule and kind of what the impetus of that was. So you tell me, where do we, where do you want to go? Well, that sounds, well, let's do both because it's kind of fun. So, so a term like adjuvant, people don't know, but we've got a really smart audience. I mean, I never, never talk down to this crowd because they know exactly what's going on. They've been with me since the beginning when I first said, uh, actually, we had Bill Gertz, uh, Washington Times foreign correspondent told us February 25th of 2020 that this is probably a bioweapon from the Wuhan lab. So we already knew. Uh, two days later, I wrote a mm-hmm. bill for Congress. Uh, it was a resolution, but it never went anywhere because, you know, they, they, they weren't quite up on it as much as we were on the show, which is kind of interesting. They said that only half the money uh, that they're appropriating for vaccines could be spent on vaccines. The other half had to go for, for COVID. In other words, COVID had to be split vaccines half and, uh, you know, no more than half, and then the rest of it for early treatments. You know, and that's when I uh, read about the uh, DDRO study in Marseille, France, with, uh, with chloroquine, which later we learned was, high, you know, the, the newer form, hydroxychloroquine. So I already knew. And then I met Dr. Selenko when he wrote a bill in August of that year reforming the FDA. But the original bill that I wrote, February 27th of 2020, said this is a potential bioweapon. I said that we have viruses to kill viruses. We have drugs to kill viruses. I did about two hours of research. And that's all it took to, to, to totally discount, you know, the person I became, you know, who I called very quickly, Dr. Fascist. And so Dr. Fascist, you know, who we're, you know exactly who I'm talking about, right? So Dr. Fascist, <laughs> whose, whose full title is the Genocidal, Psychopathic, Avaricious, Narcissistic, Pathologically Lying Vaccine Drug Pressure, Dr. Fascist. Um, you can use that, by the way, if you can. It takes a little practice, but you, know, just, you can just like, roll one out. I've also heard Dr. Uh, Fraudchi. Fraudchi? No, I like, no, I, I like my, I think Dr. Fascist really kind of encapsulates the true essence of his, of his evil. Um, but anyway. It's, a, it's uh, more comprehensive for sure. Well, yeah, well, especially the full name, if you can remember it all. Uh, that took about 30 minutes to be able to roll that right off. But anyway, but uh, this, this whole idea of, of, uh, of, of mandating uh, vaccines, that this was the only road to help. And we've just been through, you know, Gulf War syndrome. And people were getting sick with Gulf mm-hmm. War syndrome who never went to the Gulf. So the one thing they all had in common was the anthrax shot. So why would they do this again? Correct. Yeah, anyway, so let's get to adjuvants. Explain that and explain what you know what's in these things. And we've been, I mean, the audience knows about graphene oxide and we know about uh, all this. Other. We have Judy Mikovits who's a regular on the show. So we've got a lot of the Terrific. story. But what, what have you discovered? Yeah, uh, but what have you discovered? And, and then we'll get to the chemicals well, in it. Yeah. And then we can go to, uh, you know, some of the other stuff we talked about. Yeah. Yeah, so there are, you know, there's a long list of ingredients that are, you know, that they put in vaccines, but probably um, one of the ones that people talk about the most because Mm -hmm. those, uh, the vaccine makers discovered that dead viruses by themselves did not activate the immune response 
that they were looking for. It wasn't a strong enough response to confer whatever immunity they were trying to elicit. And mm-hmm. so um, the the solution was to uh, put heavy metals or some other adjuvant in the vaccines that kind of, you know, they're, they're the whole purpose of these adjuvants is to ramp up, if you will, the immune response. And mm-hmm. some common adjuvants in vaccines include a, a, several forms of aluminum, that squalene that we were talking about. Um, there's still some uh, multi-dose flu vials that use the thimerosal, which is a, mer- mer- a form of mercury. And so it's really uh, important to understand that when evaluating a vaccine for safety and efficacy, the FDA considers these adjuvants as simply a component, which means that the adjuvants are never clinically um, evaluated or licensed Hmm. or approved separately. How about that? And (laughs) And yet the vaccines are then approved by the FDA. Well, doesn't aluminum... So it's just important. I mean... Doesn't aluminum lead to dementia? Doesn't aluminum lead to dementia? And we know what mercury does. <laughs> mercury is deadly. Yeah, I mean, there's, like there's a lot of em- there's a lot of emerging research that is showing that you know the the you know that analyzed the brains of individuals that died with dementia that they their brains are laden with with aluminum and these are I mean this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not something that we're making up. This is the emerging research and the question is how did the aluminum build up in those brains? What do you think? You what's tell your, me. Well, <laughs> well, I know. I, I, well, I mean, I, I'm sure it's a history of vaccines, and, and this is, uh, you know, plus any other yes, source of aluminum that gets into your body, even aluminum cookware. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, flaking and doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I like cast iron. Um, but uh, we go back to basics, and mercury is another one. But there's something I was reading recently. There was a study. Uh, it's on our, uh, it's in our private group, the vaccine, the uh, Action Radio Vaccine Project. Yale did a study in 2017 talking about. We always talk about the physical aspects, but we don't really talk about the mental aspects. And they were charting increases in autism, ADHD, eating disorders, anxiety disorders, um, you know, what's it called? Compulsive, uh, I forget what the, the mm-hmm. OC, OC part is, you know, OC. whatever it is. Yeah, that stuff. Obsessive <laughs> you know, compulsive. Monk. Yeah, obsessive compulsive. Thank you for filling my words. Yeah. Um, but those kind of things, and a lot of them are tracing back to vaccines too. So there's not only a physical component of these things, there's a mental component. Have you looked into that at all or can you do more? Yes, I mean, it's really unavoidable if you look around at the state of our of our children. You know, these mm-hmm. that you know are that our most precious resources in this nation should be our children. Those are who you know we as the adults should protect. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the state of our children, we have the highest rates of asthma, allergies, ADHD. You know, kind of all of these a the a's. You know, mm-hmm. uh, autism, ADHD, asthma. I mean, all of these and you know, and the question is, what is what is causing this? I mean, for the first time, these children have a lower life expectancy than their parents, and that for America, I mean, we're supposed to have the you know best healthcare system in the world, and yet we have a whole generation that is sicker than than any other generation. I mean, you can't even go to your kid's soccer game without all the moms sitting, you know, sitting around in the stands comparing how Titian is what I've discovered of like how, how busy moms are schlepping their kids to doctor's appointments. And that is not, not the childhood that you and I experienced. 
And yet they're still doing it. They're still taking these their, their kids to the, the, the kindly doctor in the white coat, you know, uh, male or female, and uh, getting their shots. And, and they're still doing this. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> How do we get to them? Uh, you know, why do people – what is the cult of the expert, as I call it? That just because somebody yeah. you know, says something in, in a – in fact, they have an experiment. Do you ever hear about the experiment where there was a, the, the kindly gentleman doctor with a, you know, the, uh, the, the big, thick plastic glasses and the white lab coat and was directing somebody to uh, issue electric charges to somebody in the next room? They couldn't see them, but it's, and they were told to do it because it was their treatment. It was their therapy, and, that they were, you know, and eventually they, they, they were giving – they knew it was all an experiment on them, uh, but they were giving charges enough to kill people, and they were doing it because the doctor told them to. I mean, it's really scary. Yeah, my undergrad is in psychology, so I know exactly which uh, which study Ooh. you're talking about because that is still very much uh, kind of the premier study on you know obedience and compliance with authority, and it is shocking. And you want everyone, I think, wants Literally. to think that they would have been the one that would yeah. have stood up to it, but but it's hard. And and I will tell you the. The PR arm of the pharmaceutical company, which mm-hmm. is essentially our government and so many private businesses, let's be clear, they have, is, I mean, the, the arm, they're, they're effective. They really are as far as, I mean, you can't even take a 10-minute grocery tr- store to the, trip to the grocery store without hearing, you know, five vaccine ads over the loudspeaker. You can't mm-hmm. hardly, you know, turn on the radio in your car without, you know, Pfizer, you know, inundating you with the safe and effective drip campaign. And it's it's hard to overcome that. And I, I mean, I get it. And my heart really does break for for parents and individuals who are simply trying to make these, you know, the best decisions for them. But the fear campaign is real. It really is. And uh, fear is a, a nasty beast that really has no place in a, a private medical decision. Yeah. We need, we need really rich people to put out uh, you know, PSAs to the contrary. I made one a while back. It's a little inaccurate now because Judy Mikovits has corrected me that there are treatments uh, for, a vac- for the vaccine injured. But this is what I used to play here. And so it takes about a minute and I'll be right back. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio. You've all heard those ads for people who have suffered medical or health tragedies, which say you may be entitled to compensation. But if you have suffered injuries or crippling diseases or medical procedures that went horribly wrong, it's not the compensation you need, it's the knowledge you should have had before the condition you suffer from now. So that you are never in that position in the future, I strongly recommend that you do not get any COVID vaccines. Get informed. Do your own research. For 99.97% of Americans, your natural immunity will give you, at worst, only moderate symptoms of COVID. If you've already had COVID, it's virtually impossible to get it again. There are effective cures for COVID, which will get you completely over the virus. There is no cure for the COVID-19 vaccines. Once you start down the road of DNA modification, there is no going back. So I made that maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and I don't plan anymore because it's, it's not entirely accurate. Uh, people can get COVID again, and there, there are things you can do you know, to treat, uh, treat the spike proteins and treat a bunch of other things. But that's the kind of PSA that, uh, that you know, us good guys should be making. 
and broadcasting everywhere. And how come, the, you know, it's like the, the conservatives, independents, patriots, I call it raising complaining to an art form. In other words, they're perfectly happy complaining about it, but they really don't want to do anything about it. They don't want to get involved. They just, I don't know what it is. There's some kind of blockage. Uh, then the left is no problem. I mean, they're just Marxists marching, you know, full steam ahead uh, with the compliance mm-hmm. of the deep state uh, or the gel- what I call the gelding old party, the GOP. But how do we help empowered to, to take a stand and to make the PSAs and to stand up against these people every chance you get and do it on local radio and national radio and, and uh, everywhere you hear something. So that's wrong. When you see somebody wearing a mask, ask them, why are you doing that? Those things don't work. Those things are dangerous. You know, I mean, just, just look at them funny. It's like, why? You, that, that's really kind of peculiar because they'll look at you. It's like, you know, where's your mask? I said, why would I wear something that increases the disease in front of my face? <laughs> you know, I've done that to people too. I mean, I'm, I'm that guy. So how do we help? You know, I was, our, driving, our I was driving out of my neighborhood yesterday and uh-huh. there was a couple walking and the man was masked. I mean, they were on a walk outside. They weren't just, you know, walking to oh. their car somewhere. I mean, they were on a and I... I mean, I I think I full blown just laughed. I mean, it was hard because I mean, <laughs> I didn't. I really don't mean to be rude. I just it was like this instinct of just really we're three years we're three years into this and you're wearing a mask outside mm-hmm. for the love of all that is holy. Like wake up. Well, so, this proves. You know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Tell me what you think. I I just you know to your question. Uh-huh. You know, it, we we here at TFEC, Texans, that's our little acronym, Texans for Vaccine Choice, TFEC, mm-hmm. we, we believe in one conversation at a time. And, you know, we say we'll, we'll talk to anyone, we're, we'll go anywhere, you know, and, and we've seen just in the last three years a, a huge mass um, awakening, if you will. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think what what Fauci intended for a lot of evil has, has been a one of the silver linings of the last three years that we've lived through is, um, is so many that are waking up to the messages that we have been shouting from the mountaintops for, you know, the five years prior mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, COVID coming on the scene, they, they're getting it now. And I, you know, I've long contended that it was going to take adult mandates to really turn the uh, the vaccine uh, around, if you will, and because you know adults, you know don't don't like to be told wh- what to do. One, even though somehow we think it's okay to do it to our children, but uh, you know, and also that I think the bigger thing here is that adults know when something has happened when they've mm-hmm. been injured. It's a really easy to explain away. Uh, injuries in in babies and toddlers and young children, you know, kids are quirky or what have you. But with adults, you know, they know that they were like this. What they were like one way, they got a medical intervention. In this case, the COVID jab, and then something happened, and and they know. And you know, when you see vaccine injured and died suddenly, and all these hashtags, or vaccine and yeah, these hashtags mm-hmm. trending on Twitter for the first time ever. That tells me that the the message is getting out. Is it is it a no? It's tsunami, not yet, but it is more than just the trickle that we had been experiencing prior to COVID. Yeah, yeah. Some about mandates in Texas and and the thing was was it the one of the hospitals in particular fired I think a uh, hundred nurses and doctors uh, for refusing you know something that I've, I've always contended was unconstitutional. Um, which is the, which is the job. Yeah. They can't do it. There's, you know, the Constitution, and we've talked about this too, the Constitution's always in force. And the time when it's most needed is when the government tries to violate your rights. 
you can't suspend it, can't restrict it. There's no such thing as reasonable restrictions. And, and this whole idea of a, of a compelling state interest is a bunch of, you know, court initiated, made up BS. They can't do it. And yet they did. Um, but what, what happened? Tell me the Texas story. Tell me the, the mandate story. Um, are you asking specifically about COVID? Well, sure. The COVID any, well, any okay. other ma- yeah. What else have they mandated now that you raised the question? Yeah, <laughs> serious now. Well, Where else can we go? Well, let's, let's just... Well, let's let's start with the the, the pandemic response in Texas, and okay. you know, I I I have the clarity of mind knowing that um, you know Texas. I mean, having lockdowns in Texas, but I have the clarity to know that Why we it was put up not with it? as horrible. This is Texas. You guys almost seceded. Well, you guys are almost your own country. What the hell happened to Texas? I mean. <laughs> That Where is, that is a great question. What happened to to the Texas independent spirit? I don't know. And there, mm-hmm. you know, people were were protesting. There were open Texas protests all over the place. But you know, and probably the same two hundred people showed up to all of them. It was really frustrating, honestly, to get people to to really buck the system. And I think you know you have a lot in play there. And I think fear was actually a big. A big component there, so um, so yeah, we had we had lockdowns, we had mask mandates here. It was uh, painful to my little uh, Texas heart, um, and I was doing my part to not comply every step of the way. <laughs> but um, but then came the the jabs in December of 2020, and mm-hmm. you know uh, our governor uh, Governor Greg Abbott had released a few. Uh, executive orders, making it clear that, you know, COVID mandates were not allowed in Texas. However, what we had here was uh, the the executive order was very milquetoast. It had yeah. essentially no penalty for, uh, for not complying with the executive order. And big businesses in Texas, I think, knew that Governor Abbott had zero um, – um, what's the word? Zero um, appetite <laughs> he was for the fight. He was not going to enforce. Yeah, he was not yeah. going to enforce his executive order. So is, and so, is that an Abbott quality? So is, had, he, is he milk toast on everything like this? Is this is this a standard well, operating procedure? Conservative you know, uh, governor. Is he Republican? Okay. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot. I had a, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I had some, you know, some, there was, you know, a lot of chatter in the political realm of, you know, he's just as bad as Beto, who was like the, the who was the Democrat on our, our ballot in November. And I mm-hmm. have the clarity of mind to saying that is a, a far stretch, a very far stretch that, that Governor Abbott is, is as bad as Beto. I mean, in no world is he as bad as Beto. No, However, agreed. It, it is just, yeah, but uh, it has been very frustrating to have, um, a governor that's simply not leading on the issue of medical liberty. We have other states in in our nation that have governors that have really taken the lead on this on this issue, and it's 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 been a a constant source of frustration because while we have this executive order in place, mm-hmm. um, I will just tell you, I mean, TFEC is still helping countless Texans navigate their exemptions and many of which are still being denied. And so if there were no mandates in Texas, please tell me why we're still processing exemptions and why they're still getting denied. And it's a big Who's problem. denying? Who's denying them? The, comp- the, the companies. Well, then seize their assets. Write a bill to take their company away. I mean, let's, let's fight this for real. 
So Ooh, yeah, so we have a lot a of thought. really great bills that are that are filed this legislative session, and I'm uh-huh. I am really excited. I mean, call me you naive, call me a, a, <laughs> a policy nerd, you know, whatever. Call that, me whatever. But let, let's play in the legislative sandbox. Our, let's uh, let's let's file. So, so what do you file? Tell me about your bills. I'm curious. Several, and I just want to um, kind of you know, toot the TFEC horn here if I can. And that is Please. that for the first time since we have started, you know, we launched in 2015 as a result of that mandate bill that uh, Jason Vialba filed that would have removed those exemptions for school enrollment in Texas. And so this is our fifth regular session now. The Texas legislature meets every other year. So um, we are on the, you know, we, we are two weeks into the 2023 legislative session. And mm-hmm. so we've, you know, they, historically our bills have, you know, the, both the bad bills that have been filed and the good bills that we've pushed have centered around the, the childhood vaccine schedule. And uh, but now for the first time, you know, in the, you know, post-COVID or I don't know, I know there's some people that are holding out saying COVID's not over, but I'm just saying we're in the post-COVID world. I'm like, oh, it ended. And so. <laughs> I have a CDC chart you know, that it ended in actually July of 2020, and I'll send that to you. But uh, CDC's own chart said it was it peak was April 15th, tax day, which is interesting, and it was gone. Anyway, until the numbers so, changed. So for the Go ahead. first time in um, in in the you know the legislative process with TFEC, the good bills that are filed far outnumber the bad bills that have been filed. I mean, mind you, we're only two weeks into session. More bad bills are going to be filed. But as far as apple to apple snapshots in time, um, you know, two weeks into session, looking at the number of bills that have been filed, we have a tremendous list of bills that we are supporting versus the bills we, we are opposing. And I think that speaks to a couple of things. I mean, one, it speaks to just the the scrappiness and uh, effectiveness of uh, of Texans for vaccine choice. I mean, we've worked tirelessly building relationships with these legislators and uh, educating them on the, the, you know, vaccine safety. And so to have these champions willing to file bills to, uh, you know, fix areas, you know, we get calls on so many different aspects, you know, COVID aside, you know, we, we have, a lot of, of issues that we, we help parents and citizens navigate when it comes to vaccine, vaccine policy in Texas. And so we are very strategic in this, this problem that you're calling about would be fixed if we could just fix this. You know, sometimes it's down to one word in a statute if we could just fix this. And so we have, we have some brave legislators that have filed numerous bills this legislative session and it's really amazing to see this switch that the good bills outnumber the bad and I think it speaks also to the momentum that our movement has and I do credit the the growth overreach of the of the of the COVID response the medical tyranny that we've all just lived through and you know, I, I hate what we lived through and, you know, in many parts of the country are still living through, but um, the big pharma overplayed their hand and, and I'm here for it. I mean, what it, being for vaccine choice isn't even, you know, for many years we were kind of considered this fringe organization and, you know, now it's cool to be for vaccine choice and I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> 
Wow. I'm just listening. This is fabulous. Uh, a couple of things. I'm going to steal one of your terms, medical liberty. I love that. I've used medical tyranny before, but uh, medical liberty is, is perfect. And the other thing uh, you mentioned is that one word in legislation can make a huge difference. Our vaccine bill, and, and ours is a national one, not meant for Congress, but it, uh, if it helps you or if you already have a bill, great. Uh, our bill, our vaccine uh, product liability bill, basically changes two words. Uh, it says, and the word is not, <laughs> it's the same word in two places mm-hmm. where it says that vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable. We basically say, we should take out the word not and actually add fully. So you said the vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable. So in other words, it, it puts the, the full burden on them. It gets rid of our, our bill gets rid of the, uh, um, the vaccine injury program because the farmer's going to pay. Uh, it, it, it undeclares the emergency. So we get rid of that. And also there's a couple of interesting provisions that you might like being a, a nerd like me on this kind of stuff. Uh, there's a couple of preemption provisions that prevents both the federal and the state governments from making it more difficult for people to file lawsuits. So that was a provision I thought was, was essential to the bill. Um, but other than that, the main thrust is just reversing uh, a couple of places in law in, in the, the U.S. code uh, where it says van- vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable. Now, does Texas have a separate? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I think, I mean, I know that you've said your audience is very educated, but for any mm-hmm. new listeners, I think we just need to kind of backtrack just a little bit and talk okay. about what Feel that free. 1986 law did, if that's okay. Yeah, of um, course it's okay. So in the, Please. Okay. In the, 19, in the early 1980s, uh, what was happening is the the pharmaceutical companies that were making vaccines were losing money hand over fist because parents were suing for vaccine injured for their vaccine injured children, and it kind of got to a point where the, the, those same vaccine manufacturers went to Congress and essentially said we are going to have to stop making vaccines because we're losing money on them unless you do something, and Congress. Um, Unfortunately, um, instead of saying, hey, vaccine makers, why don't you fix your products so they're not injuring people, Mm -hmm. kind of waved their legislative magic wand and removed all liability for vaccines on the manufacturer. So, you know, Merck, that was responsible for Vioxx and that disaster that rolled out, and they had to pay out billions in damages for deaths and adverse reactions to Vioxx across the nation, that same Merck that was responsible for the Vioxx disaster makes a lot of our vaccines that are on the schedule. So while they can be held liable for their non-vaccine products, the vaccines that they make are completely immune to all liability. And so it's just really important to make that distinction. It's not like these are these same companies that are actually convicted felons for their non-vaccine products have somehow found Jesus when it comes to their, their vaccine products. And, you know, especially when you remove all incentive to make a safe and effective, you know, for safety and efficacy. I mean, they're not liable for them. So where is the, 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 the incentive to do the due diligence and do the studies and, you know, also they um, have reclass- they have classified vaccines as biologics, which is another huge issue in that they the safety testing requirements, the threshold for safety is very, very low. A biologic is essentially the same thing as a blood product. You know, we're not uh, so it's it's the, they're not required to do the same rigorous, you know, long term randomized control trials that all other medications in America are required to undergo. 
So that same bill that happened, you know, it was signed by uh, Ronald Reagan in 1986. I will just tell you, I think there, uh, I've gone back and really looked at the, the ledger or mm-hmm. the journal, if you will, and, you know, Reagan did sign it with hesitation, uh, but he did but sign he signed it. it. And this, he, he did sign he, it. Though. He See, sure did. You know, I, I think that it doesn't I think matter how much he has I, to yeah. That's correct. I, I think what it was somewhat of an unintended consequence uh, and that nobody could really have predicted because what we had was a, you know, I'm a child of the 70s. You know, my vaccine schedule included about 12 shots from, you know, childhood to 18. I mean, it was not many. And currently the vaccine schedule, if you are following the CDC schedule, it's over 70 um different uh, jabs, you know, some of them are combined. So it's, you know, four diseases in, in one syringe. But if you really tease out all of the components of all of the vaccines, it's well over 70 by the time you graduate from high school. And if you can see, you know, what the vaccine schedule was prior to this 1986 law, and then mm-hmm. today, it is an absolute you know, explosion in the schedule. And it is the most aggressive and bloated vaccine schedule of any nation in the world. And that same vac- that same law that was passed in 86 that removed this liability set up this um, vaccine court, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this court was originally supposed to be this very easy, you know, no-fault system of getting compensated for, vac- for vaccine injuries. And I just want to pause right there and just say there is federal statute outlining the ways that people can get compensated for their vaccine injuries. So that there tells us the federal government says there are that vaccines injure. This is not a conspiracy. This is not some, you know, hypothetical. They do injure. And they they felt like they needed to even put in a system for compensation. Say, oh well if we're gonna remove the liability from the companies, we have to have some way to compensate. And Syncourt has become this huge beast. I mean, it is just a true bastardization of where of what the original intent of that vaccine court is. And families struggle to get to get their their cases even heard much less compensated now and that is a whole nother story but it is really a gross disservice to americans um it it tried to just get basic compensation for you know these are the people that complied you know they 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 did what they were told and they were injured and instead of rolling out parades for them and you know at at most or at least compensating them for injuries, we, we really gaslight them, try to cancel and censor them. And so despite all the pitfalls of that vaccine court, it has still, since inception, paid out about $5 billion in vaccine injury claims. And, you know, I think it's easy to kind of say, well, $5 billion is, you know, a drop in the bucket when it comes to federal, the federal government budget. And, and I would agree. However, I would say, I just want to point out that um, several years ago, Harvard Pilgrim released a study really analyzing the vaccine reporting system. And the conclusion of that study was that about 1% of vaccine injuries in this nation are ever even reported. So if you look at that $5 billion uh, number of payouts, 
it really, you know, at best represents 1% of, of, all, of all vaccine injuries in, in our nation. So I'll let your smart audience do the math there. <laughs> we, you know, that 6 billion, if it's 1%, the 100% of that would be what, 600 billion? We're talking, they should yeah. have paid out close to a trillion dollars is what we're talking about now, or at least well on the way to a trillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That's how bad this if is. It were an uh, actual, if it were an uh-huh. actual system, um, you know, an efficient system paying out every vaccine injury, yes, that's what we would see. Unfortunately, that whole vaccine court has its own host of problems. Um, I mean, it's just real. I mean, I was just talking, listening to a story from a mom last night that, mm-hmm. you know, she was a nurse. And she had had resources and was able to, you know, had all the, you know, doctor's notes and video footage. I mean, she, you know, she she knew what had happened and had every resource available to her and flew all across the nation, you know, getting experts to come and testify at her hearing at a huge personal cost. And mm-hmm. still her, her claim was denied. Oh, it's too much money in it. You know, and this is the the, the, the mm-hmm. big unspoken here is, you know, we, we talk about following the money. I got what, uh, one of our colleagues here, Pianchi, one of my favorite colleagues online. I'll get to him in just a uh, couple minutes here. But uh, the, the money aspect of this, you know, how much money did, did Big Pharma spend or, or spends every year lobbying to maintain their liability immunity, you know, compared to actually investigating their own drugs? How much of a benefit did Correct. they get, you know, because in COVID – uh, the whole warp speed program. I mean, that was all paid for by us. So big pharma didn't have to pay for the research. They didn't have to pay for the development. They don't pay for the transportation, the marketing. Uh, they don't pay for the administration. I mean, they don't pay for anything, but they get all the profits. It's like a gambler who, who can go anywhere and, and yep. uh, all their losses are paid, their losses are paid back and they keep their winnings. <laughs> you know, it's, there's it's no re- liabilities. It's a really, it's a really beautiful model for the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. 100%. When you have a product uh, that is essentially mandated with zero consumer protections and you have you know, the, the, essentially being your, you know, marketing mouthpiece, you know, it, it is, a, it's a, it, it is, a, it is tr- a tremendous model for them, and, but the consumer loses every time. Yeah. I mean, these are products Wait, that have no consumer protections. You know, mm-hmm. can you think of any other product in America that is essentially mandated with no consumer protections? I, I giggle every time somebody says, oh, vaccines are like car seats. You wouldn't not put your baby in a car seat. Well, I'll tell hmm. you, that car seat, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a real, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating analogy, really, because if that Britax fails, guess who's getting sued? You know, <laughs> I can sue them. And also, it's not a you know, in injectable. And also, I mean, we could just talk all a long time about that analogy. I, I've it, had it is a car seat specialist. Yeah. They, they had them in the front seats until the airbags were killing babies. Then they put them in the back seat mm-hmm. and people are forgetting them and leaving them in, in cars with rolled up windows. So there's, there's not a whole lot of good comes from car seats, uh, except in, a, in an actual crash. But uh, other than that, yeah, that's a whole different argument. Um, the, um, has anybody ever, or have you asked both Texas legislators or members of Congress how they justify this? You know, how do, how do they justify? I mean, my donut shop has, has more local donut shop has more liability. You know, my local car mechanic, you know, my local widget maker, you know, I, I bet your hairstylist yep. has more, you know, liability than big pharma does. And it's a multi-trillion dollar intercontinental business. How do they yes, justify it in their own it, or do they just not it's care? It's funny. I was at a, I was at a speaking engagement at a, uh, I mean, I'm in Texas, so it was a, at a, barbecue pit so I was doing a speaking engagement there and 
somebody raised their hand, and it was really funny because there was, you know, a big bottle of barbecue sauce on the table, and he said, this bottle of barbecue sauce has more liability than than the jabs, you know, that yeah, you're no, getting I, at CVS. I, I, I knew where you were going with that. I could, I could hear that coming. This is exactly true. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah. There was the, so, so I, how I, I got one more question. You know, yeah, how go ahead. Justify, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, keep going. We, so, I, we're, we're both, you know, I think you know, a lot of it, energetic. <laughs> Yes, we're very nerdy about all this, and I love it. Um, and I, I use that term endearingly. Um, oh, absolutely. But, but yeah, it is, um, it is hard. You know, a lot of this is education. This, the fact that so many, you know, when TFEC started in 2015, you know, it was a lot of those legislators felt like they were drinking out of a fire hose. You know, and we, as far as us coming in and trying to educate them, and I think that's important in, you know, when you are thinking about citizen advocates and turning advocates right. into real effective, you know, lobbyists. I know lo- the word lobbyist, you know, can be a dirty word, but you can lobby on, on the right side of history. <laughs> yes, you absolutely can be a, a lobbyist for good. And, you know, so many, so we, we learned very quickly how to boil down the issue to some real high level, you know, vaccine fast facts, if you will, you know, because you can't, you know, it's like, let's just, give you let's dip your toes into the deep end of vaccine safety and then once we get through over some basic issues then we can go deeper if you want but you know some vaccine fast facts are you know absolutely the lack of liability the exploding schedule the questionable ingredients the lack of safety testing you know we can go on and on and and so well we know the um, problems are I'm more interested in the solutions at this point, you know, as to how we get the yeah, legislation implemented and how, how we fight the, uh, uh, the money, basically. So we have to have more votes and more influence than they have money uh, and can buy. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. So I got one more thing before I get Pianchi on here, and that's the Citizen Legislation Day or Citizen Engagement Day. Excuse me. That's what, February 16th? Yes. Yeah, so we have three Citizen Engagement Days scheduled for Ooh. this legislative session. And okay. the first one is February 16th, and then we have one in March, and our last, which we hope is our biggest one, would be in, in April. And all of those are on our website, TexansForVaccineChoice.com. There's an events tab at mm-hmm. the top that lines out those citizen engagement days. And those are days where we, um, you know, we do a lot of things really well. And I um, will just say our citizen engagement days, I don't think anybody has ever left one of those thinking they did not move the, the needle. Uh, we are, uh, those are days that we are ready for and expect a large, a large crowd. And mm-hmm. we divide up into small groups. The small group leaders have gone through an extra level of training. And we uh, are very strategic on the messaging and the offices that we're visiting. And so we, we don't even determine either of those things until probably three to five days prior to that, to the Citizen Engagement Day, because we really look at what is moving, what's not moving, what we want to move um, as far as the bills. And we really, uh, we create very specific materials based on where we, what we determine is the most effective, you know, timely message to, to relay. And then we do uh, office visits based on very, the, the, the committees that those bills will be going to and are really, it's kind of a, you know, we have, sometimes we do these canvas days where we want to, we visit all 181 offices with a quick and dirty pop-in message. This is not that. You know, that is kind of the 
the uh, I don't know the the bomb that we you know the you know blanketed thing. This is more of a scalpel messaging on those citizen engagement days and. Um, yeah, so that is one one thing that we do. Um, our, uh, I mean, anybody can come anytime. I mean, this is your Texas Capitol, and we have people at the Capitol every day that can help line people out if they want to come any any day. The citizen engagement days are just the days that we are organized and ready for a large group of citizen advocates. Yeah, you're really a model for any group in the country, and you remind me very much of uh, of one of the projects we have uh, that uh, we love here. That's the DC project. It's the Women and Guns project. Uh, Shirley Watchell is the mm-hmm. Florida director, and she's uh, I think she, she's going to be back from the Shot Show, so we're going to hear all about that. Very similar. And it's interesting that uh, uh, the, the women are becoming much more political, much more conservative political, and are doing some pretty incredible things in the groups. And it just uh, you know I don't know whether it's better networking or, or more conviction or something. But uh, some of the strongest advocates I'm hearing from are women, and it's really interesting. Well, you know, mama bears get it done is is kind of my my take on that. And, yeah. you know, there were, again, another one of the silver linings of COVID is parents were, you know, front and center of what was truly the state of their schools and what was being taught. And, you know, we the, the, uh, the rising of, you see parents, you know, addressing school boards across across the nation. We see school boards being flipped. You know, we, the, I mean, I have, there's a whole network. I'm, I'm in Tarrant County in Texas, and there's a whole network of moms that get out and block walk for these pro-parent candidates. And it's really inspiring to see kind of this awakening of the citizen advocate. Yep. Love it. Love it. I mean, that's what we, the whole show is dedicated for. Um, Pianki, do you have a question for Rebecca Hardy uh, of, of Texas for vaccine choice? And then when she says TFVC, that's what she means, Texas Texans for vaccine choice. Pianki? Yeah, I agree with vaccine choice. <clears throat> but, you know, you got all, there's always the flip side of the coin, too, because if pharmaceuticals didn't exist and you got people that that uh, is coming down, children are coming down with all these different diseases from tetanus, meningitis, and so on. You know, I've seen women, uh, human beings, that were born without limbs, arms, with meningitis. So they want help. They want a cure. So there's got to be a tight rope that has to be walked in order to get what people want and what's needed. And, you know, the the oh, uh, creation of a thing takes a long time. Yeah, no, no, and then you have to the, try it out Pianchi. on human beings, and all human beings are not the same. Pianchi, you raise a good point. I want to take them separately just because they're the same points. This is a great question, and uh, I want to get on to mm-hmm. the time it takes to create a vaccine. But the idea of, of these diseases out there, no parent wants to be you know, guilty of having the kid get a disease. But we never talk about the fact that most of these diseases are now rare. Uh, sanitation took care of most of them, like polio, uh, and that uh, you know, we have treatments. We have, we have all kinds of things. We have cures. You know, we have doctors don't say cure. I do. Um, but this idea that, that just because there's a disease out there, you know, that the, it's like the only cure uh, is a vaccine. It's the only way to treat it. It simply isn't. First of all, a lot of people are already immune. Secondly, they get immune. And, it, and most of these things can be treated. Well, and let's be clear. There's nothing in a vaccine that cures or treats. I mean, don't get me started on this get your tetanus shot if you uh, step on a you know rusty nail business. Like, if you just get a tetanus shot after you have some sort of injury, you mm-hmm. and and that that nail happens to have tetanus on it, 
you you will likely die of tetanus if your only uh, treatment post-injury is a tetanus shot. There's nothing in a vaccine that treats or cures any illness. It is merely a preventative. And, uh, and you know, if you have your vaccine, sir, then you are, then, then you're, you're safe, right? If you're, if you uh, believe they're safe and effective and, and, you know, the problem with, you know, anybody that chooses to decline that it's not those, it's been a, that is something that is a very, and also a very effective hat trick, trick that Big Pharma has done in that this whole concept of mine won't work unless you get yours. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, 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 an, it's a pretty absurd concept. I mean, just think about it. Like, you know, I wear deodorant so that you don't stink. You know, I have my raincoat on so you don't get wet. I mean, what other, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Susie takes birth control so you don't get pregnant. I mean, it's just a real, um, it's an interesting concept that is, is we, we, we fight against because it is a, it's truly the most unscientific uh, position to take. Well, just to follow up on Pianki's point, don't we have treatments for diphtheria, uh, tetanus, pertussis, measles, mumps, rubella, and, and diseases that might uh, cause a child not to be born with a limb? I mean, don't we have – well, that's a different story. That's, that's a whole – that we need to say, Jude. Um, well, but but yes, don't, I mean, can't we treat most of these? The, yes, yeah, if you look at the mortality in America on these, on these diseases, it's essentially zero. And so it's, there, there are treatments. And to your point, there's these um, – so numerous diseases were already significantly on the decline when the vaccine was introduced, and somehow the vaccine gets credit for that decline when it was the you know that that slope on the on the graphs were already you know in deep steep decline uh, yeah. when the vaccines were introduced. Piaki, do you follow up on that? About also, or- we, 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 we vaccinate for about, what, 14, 15 uh, contagions. What about mm-hmm. the hundreds of other, uh, you know, infectious diseases for which there is no vaccine? You know, somehow we've gotten into this mindset of, you know, these diseases kill. Well, what about all the others? You know, my, I have a daughter with a significant autoimmune disease that mm-hmm. is horribly impacted should she get strep. Well, you know, it would be really effective for me to, you know, swab each kid of her classroom as they walk into school every day with their strep test to see, to see if there's, they happen to be a carrier. Would we ever propose that? No, it's ri- a ridiculous thought to do that. But yet that, that kind of tracking and micromanagement is somehow acceptable when we talk about these, you know, 14, 15 diseases for which there are vaccines available. Yeah, we, I did a show one day with the 50 deadliest diseases, and none of them were the ones that, uh, uh, that, that people are being vaccinated for, and some pretty horrible things like uh, you know, mad cow disease and a bunch of other things. Um, you mentioned something earlier in the show about the, the immune system and the fact that uh, these, these uh, jabs, you know, these snake oil jabs, have to have an adjuvant to kind of jumpstart them because the body doesn't recognize you know, dead material. And I'm wondering if that's part of our design, that our immune system is designed not to recognize or not to do anything about inert dead viruses because they're inert dead viruses. You know, the body really is, is geared up to react to living, dangerous viruses. So the fact that, uh, you know, that our body doesn't react to a, quote, vaccine snake oil jab with dead virus is actually a good thing, isn't it? I mean, we're going about this all wrong. <laughs> you, you, you bring up a very good point, you know, and I, 
I do believe um, that, you know, Jonas Salk with his polio vaccine, I think his intentions were very good. I, I think that what has happened with the vaccine program has been a, a far cry, a, a, like I think, I think I used the word a gross bastardization of, of what was a, the, his original intent. You know, we, it is now this, this moneymaker, you know, again, vaccines are sold for profit. I just want to make that very clear. These are products with no consumer protections, uh, with, uh, you know, and every single vaccine on the childhood schedule has uh, had a payout in that vaccine court. So some people will be injured by every single vaccine, and that's what mandates, uh, mandates always lead to, is that mm-hmm. some will be injured and somehow we have gotten to a point in this country where they're just collateral damage and it's somehow acceptable and, and it's not. And I will, you know, this is my hill. This is my hill and it's the hill of Texans for Vaccine Choice to ensure that no one is, uh, is finds themselves in a place of being injured by a vaccine because they were coerced or not given proper informed consent. Yeah. Let's get to the uh, the timeline part of, of Pianchi's question. Pianchi, do you want to ask that part now? Because that's a good point as well. Well, like I said, uh, I'm, a, I'm for choice. If a person wants to take a vaccination, then they should be know what the consequences can be and what uh, they won't be compensated for in case something happens. But there's been many cases where they have made a difference in saving people's lives. You know, I spent a lot of time in Africa, and I've known a whole villages be wiped out. And you know, the funny thing, my grandson has been all over the continent from West Africa to the Northeast corner as early as two. And when he comes back here, he hardly catches no cold or anything else because his immune system has taken on the aspects of those areas where he became influenced and so. It's a type That's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, I have I have the, the same a similar kind of thing. Uh, I used to, I was a tour guide in San Francisco, and I met people from around the world. I almost never get sick. You know, my immune system is has <laughs> you know everybody from from Thailand to Australia to uh, South Korea to Argentina. You know, you you name it, any part of the world, Egypt. You know, chances are I've met them. You know, I'm exposed to people. So how about that? And we uh, we we got actually Jonathan line. I'll bring him on in just a couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, how about our immune system building up that yep. way? Good point. Yeah, you know it. It is a very good point, and I and I agree. And Texas for Vaccine Choice is for for choice. You know, we we have one side of this this uh, this issue that wants to mandate and coerce and co- compel. And you know, Texas for Vaccine Choice. I mean, our you know, the our core values are is you know our core value is liberty, and so an an anti-vaccine stance would be to tell somebody that they can't ever take a vaccine and mm-hmm. and that is that's anti-liberty too and so we would never do to them what they are trying to do to us we simply believe that these personal medical decisions belong to you and you alone and should be without any sort of government interference or coercion or you know even you know dangling participation in society you know in 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 front of you to to take to take these jabs and i think that's an important distinction uh, to your point to the caller you know it is it's truly 
a, a choice when it comes to how, when, and if you vaccinate. And, and we support everyone in their pursuit of health. I will tell you that informed consent is very lacking when we, when we talk about these vaccines. You know, I mm-hmm. recently had a mole removed on my back, and I probably had a sign, I don't even know, 15 to 20 pages of informed consent on anything and everything that could potentially happen during this very quick inpatient procedure. But when we, <laughs> well, they have liability. When it comes to these vaccines, yeah, <laughs> they've got liability. These vaccines, yeah. yeah, exactly. When it comes to these vaccines, we, you know, they hold them up as these sacred cows that they're safe and effective for all people all the time. And, and then there's essentially no informed consent. And that is a gross disservice to, to everyone. Yeah. I got about maybe half of what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, so you have to come back. In fact, I'd love to have you back like yes, every sir. month or so for an update. Um, so that would be great. I've got Jonathan online. We're, this is our, our legal report now. You're welcome to stick around if you want. In fact, we've had people stay for three hours of the whole well, show. I don't I, know how much time you have. Where do you have know. to go? I'm actually – I, I'm, I live in North Texas, but I'm in Austin this morning. I've actually got to hit to the Capitol here real quick. So okay. I'm going to need to log off, but it's been so much fun and I would love to come back. And I agree. We barely scratched the surface. So um, I look <laughs> well, forward to next time. Well, thank you. Give me your contact information, any place that people can reach you, and then we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Rebecca. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. Bye-bye. Goodbye. What? No contact information? Okay. Well, I'll give it to you instead. Texans for Vaccine Choice. Apparently, she's got a website. She's got uh, a Facebook page. And so that's Rebecca Hardy of Texans for Vaccine Choice. You guys can look it up. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. All right, we got a regular... Uh, we got a regular Monday morning panel here. Pamphy's on the line. I'm here. And, and Jonathan Mosley, our legal expert and legal reporter and criminal defense attorney and all those other wonderful things. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning. I didn't mean to rush you off. I'm just no, you didn't. Usually, what is is that when I call in on time, you ask me about something that happened a few minutes earlier, and um, <laughs> so uh, well, uh, the, this gives you a chance. We we had, in fact, I was hoping uh, Rebecca could stick around, but you know she might be busy. Listen, we I get an hour from folks, and she's brand new to the show. So Rebecca is the director of Texans for Vaccine Choice. She's basically doing on, on the state level uh, what we're doing on the national level, and actually now the international level. Uh, she's training lobbyists, she's or advocates. You know, they have their own vaccine uh, legislation. You know pro-choice legislation for vaccines uh, and a bunch of other stuff. She's amazing. We had a great chat. It's rare that I have a guest, you know, first thing Monday morning, but we're getting so many guests lately. Um, I suppose I should announce now too, that we have uh, Christina Bob is going to be joining us Thursday 
at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central Time. And she's Trump's attorney. She's a One American News reporter. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to, to make a, a great connection in terms of getting us connected to the Trump campaign and our citizen legislation there, too. So this show, thing, Jonathan, right place, right time. We're, we're going places. Yeah. 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 Um... I uh, let, let, maybe we'll brainstorm off the air because I think you should do the interview. But you know, sometimes they do a what do they call it? Well, a rehearsal. That people have kind of colorful names for, um, you know, for uh, running through things. You know, lawyers do it in depositions. They, you know, when someone's like right now with the January six trials, people mm-hmm. uh, rehearse what you know the, what their testimony is going to be at trial and throw curveballs at them and. Um, just like presidential debates and everything like that. Uh, so, um, yeah, maybe we'll uh, just think about what you want to ask her. And um, but oh, anyway, I've been thinking about since the interview was confirmed. I'll tell you, though, quite honestly, uh, the, the first thing I used to do that when I very first started back in, in March of 2017, I would call guests up and we would talk. And what I immediately found, and it only took a couple of times to do this, was that our conversations on the air were nowhere near as much fun as our very first conversation off the air. So I stopped doing that. I purposely do not talk to people in advance. Uh, I don't rehearse. I don't what? plan. And wherever the interview goes, it goes. Like Dr. McCullough, I mean, I had, I don't know, I maybe got to a quarter of the questions that I had for him. But he was leading it, and he went off in directions I never expected. Uh, the FBI, CDC, for example, DARPA, uh, the Department of Defense is so much more involved in, in the whole COVID conspiracy, the real conspiracy, than I ever thought, than I ever imagined that I had no idea that, that was coming. So we're, I'm very flexible when it comes to interviews, especially with, with these you know, major public figures. It's a good idea. I mean, I'm not, I'm not discounting your idea at all. I just know for me, I'm much better spontaneously. Jonathan. Yeah, and I, I'm talking about just among us, but uh, yeah, I mean, anyone who comes on of that caliber, they, they have their own agenda, too, of what mm-hmm. it's like. If we get Jerry Corsi on here, yeah. um, he wants to sell his book. So, you know, he's, he, he's going to make sure that he gets in what he wants to talk about, too. Anyway, but anyway, that, that is, like, beyond awesome. Christian, <laughs> the people who do spread the word, Christina Bob is, is one of only two or three Trump lawyers who is excellent. Yeah. The, the rest of them are, uh, are bumps on a log and, and, uh, and dead weight. Um, you know, but Christina Bob is, um, is an excellent um, attorney, smart person, knows the issues, knows you know, how to pre- <clears throat> present the issue, issues, not just waffle around and, and uh, you know, try to make herself look good. I mean, she does mm-hmm. look good because she's doing good. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so she is, she, for people who may not have heard the, may not be, uh, be a household name, um, spread the word. She is an awesome guest. Oh yeah. No. And thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, we have friends, you know, we, we have, we have uh, folks that we have our secret agent. We have our man behind the curtain. I mean, I'm not going to say who they are, but there's, a, there are some serious people that are taking a real interest in what we're doing here. Uh, that's how we got Peter McCullough. That's how I got uh, Peter Navarro. Uh, that's how I got David Stockman, uh, Wendy Rogers, uh, some of the other folks that have been on the show. We, we have definite friends out there that understand or at least are, are willing to give us the chance to make citizen legislation work. And so, again, with Christina Bob, uh, who I would love to get to, you know, I'm going to talk to her. Um, 
I have to talk about her book, and I have no problem with that. But I'm going to ask her about January 6th and what we call the talk, you know, what happened under the Capitol, because she might know. Mm-hmm. You know. She might have insights that we don't know yet, and so because she you talks know, to everybody. You know, thinking about something that needs to be investigated. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, so there's always too much going on. You know, a joke that you <laughs> yeah, know, there is. And there's like, you know, there's just, it's like ridiculous. We just, we just have to like arbitrarily pick something and we know we're going to run out of time. Yeah, um, okay. So let me, why don't I jump in with, uh, with uh, a gun control and see if we can okay. do it quickly. Sure. Um, but you, people may have, may have seen <clears throat> that um, how um, the Illinois passed a, um, a, a, a ban on assault weapons and I think it got up to nine and of course now Illinois obviously you know Chicago is so infamous that you know sometimes I forget that when we talk Illinois we're talking about you know the war zone that is Chicago um, but they're not going to do anything about that of course um, so um, so anyway they uh, they up to, up to 90 sheriffs um, we're saying that they're not going to enforce the law. Um, Isn't that wonderful? And it's interesting. <laughs> Good for them. What? Good for them. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's interesting because they, um, um, there has been a huge movement and discussion for mm-hmm. at least a decade or two, and maybe it just was going on and I didn't hear about it, but about the status of the sheriff as historically being an independent guarantor of our liberties and a, and a check on power um, because, um, you know, it is elected directly by the people. Mm-hmm. I was actually um, at an event where, um, where they, um, they, they previewed a new film um, I think it's just called Sheriff. Doggone it. I'm, my memory is, I understand concepts, but, but, but it was about the historical role uh, of the sheriff. And it was really quite fascinating. I mean, I was aware of the controversy, but I wasn't necessarily sold on it. But when they went through the history of, of the Shire, what was it, the Shire Reef originally in history, the, the uh, ruler of the Shire, you know, basically a county, and, and, and these different things, I was impressed. And so there's this big issue about whether a sheriff, because he's elected by the people in most counties, in most states, and constitutionally uh, formed um, as a separate power center, mm-hmm. you know, should, in, should exercise an independent judgment as to justice and the law. And everybody, well, minute, you know, the left is they all take the same oath, though. How can you know? How can the sheriffs be different than uh, a city police chief? I mean, I know they're appointed. I know they 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 toe the line of the people that appointed them. But everybody in law enforcement, including the line officers, they all take the same oath to support and defend the constitution. They do not swear allegiance to their their superiors or to the the political structure. So why why would the sheriffs well, be any goes, separate? <clears throat> well, and this goes back. But well, I mean, <clears throat> okay, you know, if if there were no wacko leftists. Right. Would you know? Would the you know? Would common sense prevail? I mean, there's an awful mm. lot of things that you can ask that 
nobody should even have to ask, but the left is crazy. So they, they've, you know, goofed up our thinking for right. 100, 130 years. Uh, but it goes back to your question frequently stated about, about the Supreme Court declaring for itself the final authority on, um, you know, on, on things. So the, the, they have taken the, um, they have taken the oath to, to obey the Constitution. Now, the left would say that means the Constitution as reinterpreted by the courts. So when they say that you have an, they've taken a, an oath to support the Constitution, they don't mean that you have to support the Constitution. It means you have to obey uh, what Mark Levin described in his book a long time ago, Men in Black. Right. Um, so, um, you know, so there's, there's been this huge controversy about whether, whether the, <clears throat> uh, um, whether the sheriffs should, should uh, obey what they believe to be justice. I mean, they can't, obviously, you can't just go off the reservation and do whatever the hell you want, like the George Soros prosecutors. But the question is, can, what's the role of the sheriff in honestly, sincerely, in good faith, trying to understand his obligations and follow them the best he knows how? Um, well, and, you know, that, but, that sort of thing. But, 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 Jonathan, this law is illegal. The sheriffs have no obligation. In fact, the Supreme Court, much as I distaste the Supreme Court, exactly. even said that a, a law, an unconstitutional law, does not exist. So they're not defying anything. Right. What they're doing is taking a law that is essentially moot. Well, actually, it is moot. That has no effect because it can have effect because it's already countered by the, the Second Amendment. And all they're saying is you passed the bogus law, folks. So, of course, they don't have to obey it. In fact, the people that passed it should be under indictment for violating uh, uh, Title 18, Section 241, conspiracy against rights, for, for right. oppressing the, the exercise and enjoyment of a constitutional right. So, you know, and here's the question I have on this, and, and Pianki, feel free to ask a question too, Jonathan. Um, but the whole idea that we went through this before, you know, the, the, and I, I despise the term assault weapon. I always say freedom rifle because language is everything. So they banned freedom rifles and other, you know, you know implements of self-defense, you know, during the Clinton uh, administration. That was blatantly unconstitutional, and yet the Supreme Court did nothing about it. Neither did the Congress, neither did the states. They all complied. They all went along with it. They all, like sheep, you know, you know uh, were, were herded by the wolves. Um, but, but now they're doing the same thing again, and we're still in the same place where the law will be in effect, even though it's bogus, <clears throat> until, you know, overturned by the courts, but the law is already bogus. So the, the best thing that the sheriffs can do is what they're doing now is to say this. What, what they should say blatantly is this law does not exist. This law cannot exist because the Second Amendment says this law cannot exist. And they should go with that. But they don't do that. They're not strong enough in that. That's my problem. Well, and, and here's the thing. Of course, we are, and we are clawing back basic, simple, common sense ideas. You know, okay. you, one is one is completely reminded of just how, how far off we were, mm -hmm. how, how deep we sunk. Um, and, uh, you know, so, 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 yeah, we've got these, these issues and concerns like that, the idea that, you know, that, that, that should be controversial. So you come along with the Heller decision. Of course, of course you know, I, I've decided, of course, there's a couple things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt myself. 
and try to bring it here, here a short, short uh, thing. Sure. First of all, I want to propose a, uh, a new law under the right to law, uh, a little tongue-in-cheek, um, saying that it shall be illegal to shoot people except in self-defense um, or if, unless justified. So that will solve the problem because there will be a law now saying that, um, that people shouldn't shoot people, so we don't need to worry about gun control. Um, and uh, Actually, we already have those laws. <laughs> there's, there's a bunch of them from from brandishing to murder to extortion to bank robbery to carjacking to uh, kidnapping to everything else you can think of. The illegal use of a gun is already there. I mean, I understand your tongue in cheek, well, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So and, and then uh, then I've also decided what's wrong with our country. Um, it's uh, it's a lack of, of spanking when these when these liberals were young. Um, you know, someone posted on Facebook. I, I guess, I guess, timeouts didn't really work. Mm, no. No. Charles you know, Manson. Uh, that's like saying Charles Manson didn't get enough timeouts. <laughs> Go ahead, Bianchi. So the thing is, these liberals—they never give up. They can't take no for an answer. They can't take you can't do that. The the, the Constitution, Second Amendment, like you say, is crystal clear, and they'll they'll never stop trying to, you know, say, but I want to. Um, and, you know, so they came up with this whole idea about the militia nonsense. And so they say the Second Amendment doesn't mean anything because it's about a well-regulated militia. And the Heller decision comes along and slaps them down. And um, also there was a little, you know, I, keep, I try to mention there was a little uh, notice part in the, you know, mention the Heller decision that um, it says that the phrase to keep and bear arms, it has a meaning. It's not, it's not just, a, it's not just words in a line. It has an actual meaning in the history of law such that it means to hold a weapon at the ready for use. So, you know, we have these gun control people trying to say, oh, yeah, you can own a gun, but if you carry it in public, it has to be disassembled. And, or you can have a locker at the gun range. So, yeah, you can, you, can, you can own a gun just fine, but it has to be locked up in a locker at the gun range. Like, um, you know, they well, just that's illegal. making up. They can't do that. You know, yeah, I know what you're going to say. It's interesting. You're, I just had to make a comment, though. You sounded like you were God then for a minute. You had like this reverb voice. You were sounding like you're in the middle of a, of a steel container. It was quite interesting. So your you're, you're, you're modulation is going up and down a little bit. But here's the thing, too. I, I was that, uh, walking go ahead. hallway. I can go back and do it again if you want. That was pretty cool, um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> But they, yeah, but, but where is where is the automatic preemption? You know, the Supreme Court already said in the Heller decision that uh, what the right to keep and bear arms arms is. So why don't they just, can't they just issue as like we already we already answered the question? Is is there a Latin term for we already did this and just and just automatically throw it out? This was our you know yeah. something like that. What's that called? And the court the court should do that. I mean, that's sort of stare decisis, but stare decisis has a bit of a different meaning. Um, right. But um, but the thing is, is that um, but yeah, I mean the court should do that. Like for example, they 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 uh, sanctioned Trump a million dollars improperly. Right. The proper use of that of that thing would be what you're saying. It's like, look, this is the same lawsuit that we already said no. You know, cough up a million dollars. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you, but but for example, the idea you can't do that has no meaning to these people. Mm. And and we already answered that. But 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 I didn't like their answer. So mm-hmm. they'll come back and again and again and again. So so that's where we're at. Is that they're trying to find ways around Heller, uh, and so New York came up with this kind of convoluted system of, you know, you you can keep and bear arms, but you can't have them in these locations. Like yeah, you know, which the is idea basically is everywhere. <laughs> it's like every the minute you leave your house, you know, it's it's like uh, you know, anytime you're in the public, yeah. And that again is. To, you know, Title 18, Section 241. Throw their asses in jail. Yeah. So, but the Supreme... Well, see, that's the thing. Is it, is it these people won't stop and, until, there's, until they have to pay a serious cost? Yeah. Uh, even then. They probably, yeah. yeah. Well, let's get Pianchi. He's been waiting to make a point here. Pianchi? Well, they're not going to stop even if they pay a serious fine. The only way you make a stop is tell them a make announce that we are not going to do it because we look at it as being unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. That's what it's ultimately going to ultimately going to evolve to. You got to say you're not going to do it. You got to tell the judge it's unconstitutional. We're not going to do it because these arguments go back and forth, back and forth. And Greg, you're absolutely right. Someone that dreams up a law like Sheila Jackson Lee is presently, she right. should go to jail. For denying you of your liberties and everything else. Well, the law hasn't passed yet. I don't want to put people in jail for laws that haven't passed because people are free to make all kinds of outlandish suggestions. I don't want to have a chilling effect. I mean, you raise a good point. But if, if a law passes like this Illinois, which is so blatantly unconstitutional, so obviously unconstitutional, and so having obviously been, been settled, you know, it's settled laws, they say, so many times before, these people should be in jail for a constitutional violation. Again, title. So, so how do we, what do we do about it? Or do they all have immunity, Jonathan? Are they free to keep, I mean, you know, keep well, passing they, laws they, that we know are unconstitutional? That's my question. Immunity, immunity like that was invented by judges. Okay. And so I don't so know why. It's not constitutional. I don't know why. They should say, so, um, they, I mean, the, the judges, like the, the, the justices of the Supreme Court, just mm-hmm. decided the New York decision. And here's right. people coming back and, you know, poking their thumb in their eye. You know, at some point, the Supreme Court judges say, didn't you read our, our damn opinion? Yeah. You know, like, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, under contempt, send you downstairs to the, to the holding room with a copy of our decision from the New York case. And you're yeah. going to read it, come back up here, and there's going to be a quiz. You know, you didn't read what we just wrote. Uh, what was it? Was it last? Well, last year was only a month ago. But um, <clears throat> um, so, I mean, it, it, it's really contemptuous. And yet mm-hmm. the Supreme Court and all these judges will receive these lawsuits and treat them seriously and, you know, and, and uh, you know, waste years on another variation of what's already been decided. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's interesting what? too that you, look at the opposite. Look at Roe v. Wade and uh, and the invention of gay marriage and some of the other things that uh, that the the, uh, the leftists have have come out with, and they expect us to comply with with all those things, and they're just as illegal uh, as uh, as this decision. And yet, the left has no problem openly violating the, the the Supreme Court opinion. They have nothing but contempt for it unless it goes their way. So we should have equal contempt and say, no, of course not. We're going to carry guns where we want. There's no distinction between home and, and outside the home. That doesn't make any sense. There's, you can't put any restrictions on it because the minute you touch in any way the right to keep and bear, you transfer it from, from a right to a privilege because all rights are absolute within the context as stated you know, in the Constitution and in law. That's what they should go with, but they don't because they're geldings. So in Illinois... They they banned assault weapons, <clears throat> and of course my that just is freedom rifles. Great. Jonathan, freedom great. rifles. <laughs> okay, Sorry, but I mean they keep saying I think well, there's yeah. no such thing in a, you know who would want to make a rifle out of salt? I don't know what they're talking about. Oh, no, uh, I, but salt the, rifle. Oh, that's good. I haven't heard that one yet. That's good. I'm impressed. Uh huh. But they um. No, but the thing is, what is you know? I have I have memes I put up on Facebook of like two identical photographs. Like this is an apple, sure, this is an assault, apple, and they're identical. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's no, you know, so that just grates on my nerves. But but the thing is, so they banned assault we- assault uh, weapons, right? You know, and they talk about military style weapons. What does the military? What does a style have to do with anything? And, and what, what is, you know, what is a military-style weapon? It makes no sense. So, but anyway, so they banned that, and w- one of the sheriffs out front, he started out by saying, look, I don't know who has one of these weapons. I don't, I, I don't know what it means, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to waste my time on it. Yeah. He says, yeah. you know, if, you know maybe if something comes in front of me, I am... You know, I'll consider it, but I'm not going to, but I have no way of knowing who has one of these weapons, and I'm not going to go knock on doors, so forget it. Um, it's a stupid law. And then finally he got, got up the nerve to say, oh, and it's unconstitutional by the, as well. Yeah, um, afterthought. The, the well, other thing about that, uh-huh. well, go ahead. No, I was going to say there's, there's a question. Actually, I have two questions. One um, is, is uh, oh, the liberal question that, that I've heard all the time, that uh, we have to uh, ban or restrict guns because people have a right to feel safe. So how do you answer the, the people have a right to feel safe argument as opposed to our constitutional rights? Well, I don't think that anyone has a right to feel anything. There you go. But, but if you're saying that you have a right to be safe, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, that's, that's why I was joking about the laws because – is because yeah. um, it's because it's already illegal to shoot people, yeah. and and there, no one has ever put forward any kind of. I mean, every liberal argument, well, most of them anyway, mm-hmm. doesn't have any logic to it. They don't even try to <clears throat> explain how is this supposed to work. So how is it that you know how, how is this supposed to accomplish the supposed goal? Um, you know they they're they're just not not into not into that. So I, I, I mean the I mean I mean part part of the problem is is that you can't it is beyond the power of government to stop evil in the world. You know Jesus died on a cross. God died on a cross, and and the job's still not finished. So um, 
How is the government supposed to do it? Um, well, we're supposed to do it. And this is the thing, too. This is why I want to bring up that point about feeling safe is that the, you know, the feelings are yours. No government can regulate, take away. I mean, you, you can get the worst torture, and the worst gulag in the world, and you can still feel whatever you want. Government cannot change that. They can't, change, they can't stop what you think, and they can't stop what you feel. But that has, there's no right to, to, to whatever you feel has absolutely no impact whatsoever on somebody else's constitutional rights to exercise them. You know, and it's, it's right. We right. make ourselves safe. I have a right to be safe under the Second Amendment, own and carry firearms or any implement of self-defense that I want. Now, if we get into use, that's an entirely different argument. Um, but the other thing I want to mention is hierarchy. People forget that, and as stated, the Supreme Court will even say this too, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The Second Amendment is the supreme law of the land. Well, everything that's not the supreme law of the land is under the supreme law of the land. So who's under it? Well, the, the Congress, the, the executive, and the judicial. So, so, and I would even put laws above the Supreme Court. So you have the Constitution, you have the law of the land, and then you have the Supreme Court, which issues opinions. Now, if they have a duly constituted case under Article 3 that arises under the Constitution, yes, at that point, they can make a, a, an opinion or a judgment that a certain such law is unconstitutional, uh, government action is unconstitutional, uh, whatever it is that it arises from that case. But that's as far as they can go. They can go no further. They cannot make a law. They cannot make a regulation. They cannot make a policy. They, they can't even make a recommendation for what to do. All they can do is settle the issue that is before them in the case that arises under the Constitution, and that removes any ability to interpret. You can't interpret. You've got to read it exactly as it says. That's the box that they should be in. But you never hear people discussing this kind of hierarchy. Jonathan. Right. Well, I mean, not never. There's you know a few people. Uh, but... Um, the, uh, I mean, the way the way the left has 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 misinterpreted things. Every Supreme Court case is an amendment to the Constitution. Now, I shouldn't say that because there are there are cases in the Supreme Court that are not about the Constitution. They're about um, they're about uh, you know the meaning of a federal law or some kind of thing like that. Um, <clears throat> but, but they treat it like every time. The Supreme Court decides something about the Constitution. It's there's a, a constitutional convention amending the Constitution. See, that's simply not true, and you know that. I mean, you know anybody who knows anything about the Constitution knows that that these opinions. And I heard this BS. Some somebody came on the show and actually told me that. Oh, I think it was actually Mark Meckler. <laughs> you know, way back when when I was W E B Y, the, the Convention of States guy. And he says, "Well, the Constitution that you get, that pocket Constitution, that's not the real one." I'm like, "Yes, it is." He says, "No, it's not." The 2,000 court opinions or the 2,000 – oh, the market's open. Those 2,000 extra pages you know, that the Supreme Court has added to it, that's the real Constitution. I'm like, that's BS. I don't think I used the real word. <laughs> you know, so that is completely untrue. That's a wild fabrication. That is somebody's you know, incredibly dangerous imagination, but it's not true. Jonathan. Hey, Greg. Pianchi, go ahead. I'm sorry for the – Oh, I love hearing the market bell. Are you kidding? I love hearing the market bell. Don't worry about the market bell. That's kind of cool. Actually. I'm just getting ready to say something. Yeah. I don't know what it is with you. I always have something to say to you around 830. But anyway. <laughs> That's okay. I like the bell. You play it every day. It's kind of fun. Market's open. One thing. We'll hear about it Friday. One with thing Eric. for sure. <laughs> yeah, one thing that you said for sure is that, and come on, the court's not supposed to make laws. All they do is give opinions on arguing arguments between two or more parties, and that's it. And no one really has to follow those opinions if they think that it's unconstitutional. 
and that's what we need to get back to. Mm-hmm. We have to say no, no. Yeah, how do we do that, Jonathan? Well, it's hard. I mean, but but you know, we have to educate people. <clears throat> I, I saw someone post on Twitter that you know we cannot vote ourselves out of this mess. And, you know, my response is like, well, until you're trained, until we train millions of MAGA people on how to win elections, you don't know that. And, you know, so people can say, oh, we've tried and people don't listen. And I, I, I dispute that we really tried. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. You know, I, I don't think we've really tried until we, we've, everybody fully understands what's going on and we bring everybody up to speed. Um, and no one's tried writing but, our own uh, bills. You know, we're, we're the first. Rebecca's doing it, too. But, I mean, there's, there's a few pockets out there. But this whole idea of the citizens writing the bills that we consent to be governed by, this is a, new, this is a revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is untried. No one knows the impact of this. And we started, And I got some folks. I've, I've told my people off the air who, who, I'm, who I'm chatting with, and they'll let, be let me, soon. But we got some major coverage that's going to happen this year with our bills. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Let, let me or tell you a story. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, is Pian- did Pianchi go? Go, Pianchi. I don't know. Do you have a point, Pianchi? Or are you playing with the market now? <laughs> <laughs> He's making money. No, go ahead, Jonathan. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, tell your story. So, okay. so, so my sister, when she was the reporter, covered this guy who had been his, you know, because when the Soviet Union was created, it was this big idealistic thing, and a lot of people from other countries went there, including an American woman. And the American Hillary woman Clinton? went over there no, and she's not that had old. a child, Peter Shapiro, uh-huh. who what became a, a tremendous sculptor, huh. did a, a sculptor of like the leaders of things, you know, top like Brezhnev and all these people. And then he discovered that he was an American citizen. He didn't know. Because even though, even though he was born in the Soviet Union to a Soviet uh, father he had the right to naturalize and so he came you know all these years he didn't know his rights and so he stayed he stayed when he found out his rights he came and became a became a a a u.s citizen so that's where we're at when it comes to all these problems is the majority of americans still don't understand their rights and and what is right. So how are you going to motivate a sufficient? How are you going to overcome the powers that are trying to stop this with a small number of people? And how are you going to get a large number if they don't know? That's why we have a radio show attached to our citizen legislature. A citizen legislature by itself mm-hmm. will never have the impact. That's where the work is done. That's where the actual legislation is done. But the work of, of sharing this news, this wonderful news, is, is with the radio show and other radio shows and other guests. You know, we've got Rebecca Hardy, uh, Texans for a Vaccine Choice. You know, we're going to be working together. Uh, and we'll be post, I'll probably be posting your bills. And I want to have a section of our writeyourlaws.com of model legislation from other states. You know, if they're doing a good job, I, we don't have to write it. Let's just use their bills. You know, and all these places around the country, and this happens, and this will be coordinating, I'm hoping, you know, when we set up here our Center for Citizen Legislation here in either Milton or Pensacola, Florida. And I hope this to be a worldwide center. I mean, I'm planning conventions of, of, huge, of thousands of people in our, in our base center 
you know, by, uh, by the Gulf, you know, so we've got some, some pretty big plans here as far as this goes. So in that respect, yes, I just hope the, the sooner we can do it, the better, <clears throat> but there has to be a mass education and it's going to require tons of money. Uh, all those people that are donating to geldings, you know, that's where it's, they're just wasting the money in the election, the, the billions of dollars that went into the midterms, you know, give me a, a fraction of that. Or as I joke around, you know, give me the, the, the bunch of the, the budget that the heritage spends on their luncheons. I can change the world just on that. <laughs> You know, so the money's there, uh, but we just have to get the word out and have the show grow and, uh, and all shows like that and all, you know, talk show hosts, they have to make a decision. Do you want to be a talk show host and keep, you know, raising and complaining to an art form or do you want to be an action host and actually deal with citizen legislation and with real problems and real solutions and start advocating solutions or you just want to talk about it and complain, you know, so they have to make a decision. So all, all through the entire spectrum of communication, people are going to have to decide whether they're just going to talk about things. Are they going to be journalists, objective journalists, or are they going to be conservative news advocates and actually advocate solutions as part of their show? That's one of the things I'm going to talk to Christina Bob about, about going from a journalist to a, a conservative news advocate. You know, so there's, right. the, the ideas are there. We just got to get the people Let going. Let me uh, Robinson, the, you know, the, the you gun know, issue. Um, one thing that, that – uh, <clears throat> I think has not been mentioned mm-hmm. is that um, the way Illinois wrote its law, and apparently they're saying, what? We're just copying like 16 other Democrat states. I mean, mm-hmm. why, why, are you, why are you busting on us? Like, oh, that's worse. So, <clears throat> but they're, they, they're talking about, they're saying that they're going to ban the sale mm-hmm. of assault weapons. And then if you, if you already own one, <clears throat> They're going to – you have to register them. Now, I heard that before. Um, yeah. the, the, I think I detect a theme <laughs> coming up. What? We, we have a theme coming up. Well, same thing happened in California, and they started collecting SKS and uh, AK-47s and things. You know, the, the whole idea of registration as a prelude to confiscation, we, we know where this goes. Oh, 1947, not – I mean, 1937, not in our country. Well, no, I mean, it actually happened um, but, in California. Uh, I mean, guess who did it? Kamala Harris. You know, they were, they were oh, they confiscating SKS really? rifles. I'm, I would think oh, yeah. more, more of Germany. And things. But the no. thing is, so, but the thing is, is that, so what they're saying is mm-hmm. that uh, a, an object that was legal, and I know it's, you know, the law is unconstitutional, but let's just go with what they're saying, uh, that the thing that was legal when you bought it has now become, un, you know, illegal. So Isn't that ex post facto? That's an ex post facto law that right. violates okay, the Constitution, not only the Second Amendment, but that's an ex post facto law. It's, it's making something illegal after the fact. Right. So it's, an un, it's unconstitutional for that reason, too. So a, uh, a county judge, God bless him, has issued a, an injunction against the law in Illinois. And, you know, lawsuits will follow. Um, Strongly worded, you know, strongly worded letter to follow. Uh, so watch, watch this space. And um, you know the the way it's going. But the thing, you know, I'm fairly confident that this Supreme Court is going to throw the, show this out. But um, but the problem is, is that they're just going to keep. The, the, these guys can't take no for an answer. Whereas like the geldings, as you call them, you know, they're, 
uh, their attitude is, um, you know, well, there it's you, you gotta you gotta be a good sport, you know, like you, uh, you know, we we you know we we lost. Oh, good. Let's like 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 share a, a glass of yeah. bitters, and uh, you know, and slap each other's back. Yeah. We we uh, we fold at the first thing, whereas the left never gives up. No, they don't so even believe. Be they, they don't even go with their own Supreme Court uh, opinions. They, they, if they don't like them, they don't care. I got a couple of other issues we want to get to because Dorothy's coming at the top of the hour. Uh, one is airline liability for for vax infected pilots, uh, and any January six reports you have. So, um, if you if we can try one of those, or if you want to yeah, kind of sum up the gun argument. So, um, and there's more going on than than you might think. Um, okay, tell me. There's there's two um, some of the big ticket cases that I've been involved in. I have difficulty talking about, even though I stepped over the line too many times. Uh, but there are hundreds of lesser known cases mm-hmm. uh, that I'm much more free to talk about. Okay. Um, and the um, in last week, see see one of the things we're finding is that. And I'm seeing it, you know, at first, I can't, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm touting my own brilliance. It's like you see it over and over and over again until oh, you're it reaches brilliant. out of the page. Slaps you're you in brilliant. The face. That's why you're on the show. Um, <laughs> we appreciate what? it. What? I said, you're brilliant. That's why okay. you're on the show. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, but what they're, what the, what the, what this DOJ is doing, and it's, it's again, it's like James Comey rose to the ranks. And, and did these things. He's like, what? What's wrong with that? That means the entire ranks are, have been polluted for decades. Yep. He rose through the rank, and, and he doesn't see anything wrong with what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the DOJ today. Yes, the, today the Merrick Garland, Joe Biden, uh, DOJ. But it didn't get that way overnight. They're taking the attitude that they do not actually have to prove your guilt. You know, let, let's say that uh, pick a name. Uh, I don't want to pick a real name. Uh, and I don't like, you know, Joe, John, John kept Q public, I guess. Okay. He went to the Capitol and stood around near the crowds and saw um, the uh, tumult of people, some people who went bad. The, the government really does. And I say this, like I've read so many pleadings. So I'm like, they can't really mean this, do they? <laughs> this must be a inartful expression. You should read it again and again. No, they really don't believe they have to prove John Q. Public actually guilty. They really have come to the view that there were some guilty people. Therefore, all I have to prove is that he was there. And <laughs> you hear commentators say that. Wow. All they have to prove, and there is an all-out assault on due process and yeah. criminal law justice, and I would never have believed they're like, oh come on, we just need to work work through it. No, they're <clears throat> they're really attacking the entire concept of criminal law as we have known it. Um, they are, um, you know, so you know, and and like for example, when I the the case of Richard Barnett who was all over the news as allegedly putting his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's, Pelosi's desk. Mm-hmm. You may have seen that, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Small problem. It wasn't Nancy Pelosi's desk. How, how could all of these reporters 
and all these government people talk about Nancy Pelosi's desk, and it wasn't Nancy Pelosi's desk. And the government put on the, as a witness the woman whose desk it actually was. So we know it was not Nancy Pelosi's desk. But that doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're, what, what's, what's a few falsehoods in, to get in the way of a, of a good story? So, um, so um, they, they've, um, so they, they, they're doing it in that. And when, um, with some help from some unknown people, um, Brad Geyer and Joe McBride and Carol Stewart, the great dream. Oh, and there was something you were saying earlier. There's this guy, Jonathan Gross. <clears throat> I forget what you were saying earlier, but, you know, he's known as, Don, 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 the rabbi, Jonathan Gross. He's, he's been the a rabbi. great contribution. Tell me about the rabbi. He's from Brooklyn. What's he got? Does he make a deal? What do you like want? A, what do you want? Tell me about the it's rabbi. It's like a 1970s crime TV show or, or a James Bond movie or something. He's the rabbi. Ooh, and double he's rabbi. very good. <laughs> okay. So he's put, he's put a lot the rabbi. of Is that serious? <laughs> yes, it is. We need the rabbi. Okay, fine. Send out the, 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 the I mean, rabbi signal. So we put... We put Oi! <laughs> Sorry. We put a lot of things in there uh-huh. um, to remind them. Like now, you actually do have to prove individual guilt. You can't because mm. what they're doing in all of these general six trials <clears throat> is they're putting on videos of the crowds in general. Right. They're putting on long videos where the defendant in that case is not shown, and it's nowhere nowhere near that defendant. But this is guilt by location. John, this is guilt by location. You know, you were there. Well, the only have to prove they were there. I mean, we've heard guilt by association is wrong. You know, you, you just because, you know, this would be, this would be like saying uh, everybody in the bank when a bank is being robbed, you know, is guilty of bank robbery. You know, all the folks lying down because they were there. Guilt by location. This is well, the same. I mean, and, and it sounds like we're, it sounds over the top. But as I'm reading all these pleadings, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> it's really, you know, it, it, it's really true. And, and they're, you know, for example, when we, you start out saying, now, this is, uh, you know, th- this is relevant and we shouldn't be excluded because you have to prove individual guilt. Then the response comes back and I, you know, it says, of course, I mean, that's not even debatable. You, you have to individually prove each and every element of the crime to that particular defendant mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt. You can't just prove that somebody was guilty, therefore he is guilty. Um, and then the response you get back is scratching your head about what? What are they saying? And you know they're ta- they're they're all upset that we're going to talk about about um, relative culpability. Um, like what? We what's never this said term? That. This is this is new. What's what's relative culpability? Relative. No, that that that. Relative to what? We're, we're saying that Richard Barnett is not violent, was not violent at all. Uh huh. Um, he his the the facts against Richard Barnett are that he stole an envelope because he got his own blood on it, and he left a quarter to pay for it. So it's not stealing because whether the quarter is the right amount or not, or whether he should have done it or not, his intent was to dispose of of a soiled envelope and he paid for it um, or he tried. So he had no intent to steal it. <clears throat> okay. He brought a hiking stick in which there is um, uh, 
uh, uh, wilderness safety stun gun in the in the bottom. But the whole purpose of a stun stun gun is that it's not capable of of causing death or, or bodily injury. The reason why stun guns were invented is that they can't actually hurt anybody. They just temporarily incapacitate them. Um, and it's not obvious either. So, um, and it's marketed, you know, to, to protect you from bears and coyotes and things. Um, so he did that. He is, you know, I'm surprised he, they're not charging him with the electric chair because the worst thing is, is he got news coverage. So the greatest crime that Richard Barnett committed is he got covered by the news. Oh, he made them look bad. And, he, he committed uh, the crime of embarrassment of public officials, exactly. <laughs> which is what you're supposed to do. Well, let me ask you a question same here. Thing uh, with, uh, uh, same thing with the Buffalo guy or the, the Viking or shaman, whatever. Yeah, he, him. He, through no choice of his own, he became a national symbol of January 6th. Therefore, he must be destroyed. The symbol must be destroyed, even though he didn't choose to be a symbol. Uh, so what about the fact that the, the what about the fact that the doors were open? I mean, I call it the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-in for a reason. I mean, it's pure and trap. Well, they they removed the restrict they removed the restricted signs. They opened the doors. The guards were saying, "Hey, come on in, come on down." The guy with the bullhorn. They're, they're having <clears throat> furious fights about that. Okay. And see, what 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 people may not understand is that um, a lot of this, a lot of the outcomes of the trials mm-hmm. are steered by motions before the trials even starts, oh. like motions in limine saying what's not going to be allowed, that kind of like, thing. So like the evidence a lot the of a lot of those <laughs> fights, well, no, just, just say so a lot of the evidence for the defense, you know, only the prosecution evidence. Yeah, when, they, when, they're, when they're talking about the, the rules of the game. So, um, uh, so, so there have been furious fights Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to keep that information out of the trial, hmm. um, and uh, but some of the like, like the vast majority of the attorneys haven't done much of anything, including right. because the average trial is not like this. You know, like you exchange information, you sit down, you talk, you work up a plea deal, you uh, plead guilty on terms, and then you move on. So the vast majority of the attorneys were totally unprepared for this. Or, and un- They've never been to trial, have they? Wait, wait a minute. How many, how, many attorney, how many trial attorneys have never been to trial? Or, or it's a very small part of their actual business. How many of them are completely That's out of practice? Correct. How many of them have no experience in actual trial? Where's the national trial lawyers, just out of curiosity, in this matter? Right. Well, of course, most of the, 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 the legal profession is overwhelmingly left-wing. So you're not okay. going to find a stampede of, lawyer, of experienced lawyers helping these guys. Okay. But um but yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. In fact, <clears throat> I heard a judge give a speech in which they were talking in that in that in that court, the DC uh district court or the federal court. Mm-hmm. Federal district court for D, for DC. They were talking over lunch saying, where, where where are the trials? Things <clears throat> things don't go to trial anymore. They're you know, everything pleads out. And, uh, of course, the reason everything pleads out, I'm finding, is because all the, all the rules are, uh, are a scam. They're all rigged. Right. So, um, 
So, you know, the a guilty verdict is, 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 is pretty much guaranteed by the corruption and bastardization of the rules um, and, the, and the law. And the interpretation so that's something we need to look at. I want to I want to spend more time with that. The, the trial, the actual trial rules. You, you're a trial lawyer. You've been you've been to court, right? You've defended people. You've been there in front of the judge and yeah. witnesses. You've cross-examined witnesses the whole bit, right? Yep. See, that's what I think we should find out about. This is fascinating. The only thing I regret about not getting a law degree uh, is that I think I would have been a hell of a trial lawyer. Um, because it, the whole process fascinates me of thinking on your feet of, of coming up with these arguments. But there's one that, uh, that I came up with. Let me give you a real Priyanki-style argument, and that is the fact that Washington, D.C. is a district, and the people that are, are being held illegally as political prisoners in the D.C. gulag, and I'm proud to say that many people are now starting to use that term, D.C. gulag, the term that we came up with here, what, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, um, is that, uh, um, that, 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 that these are state citizens that these citizens are citizens of a state. And of course, D.C. has no citizenship. It's a, it's a district. You know, it's not even part of, it's not even official state territory. So how about the states? And here's a novel argument for the defense attorneys. How about arguing that they can't try these people? They can't hold them indefinitely in D.C. D.C. is only a district. And these states actually, is there anything in, in our law or, or precedent or constitution that the states can claim their citizens back from D.C. and try them within their state? In other words, if someone's from Texas, can, can Texas claim their Texas people in the D.C. gulag? Can uh, Minnesota claim the Minnesota people? Can, Florida, can we in Florida claim our Florida people back? So you can't try them there. You can have a federal court here in Florida, but you're not going to try them in D.C. They're citizens of Florida, and they have rights in Florida. Has that ever been brought about? Well, <clears throat> like I say, anything that has been done has been done by a very small minority of these attorneys. Mm-hmm. How about that argument, though? However, I believe there's an argument, there's a court like that going on in Texas. Okay. Um, challenging the right of, um, challenging the right of, um, the, the, challenging that people have a right to um, be tried in in Texas or whatever other state, not in mm-hmm. not in D.C. I don't. Uh, all of the reasons that they've used for it, but okay. <clears throat> but I know that people were a few, you know, like we're talking about, very few were. All it um, takes is one. If, if one, if it well, works for one, if a judge says you cannot try these people, you cannot hold them uh, in D.C. indefinitely, you know, we're going to take them, we're going to hold them in Texas, and we're going to have a trial immediately. You can bring in your prosecutors, but you're not going to try our state citizens uh, in your in your little district there. Right. Well, I, uh, I think Trennis Evans is one of the people who knows about that. Um, I'm not familiar and, with that person. Uh, he, he's, he's a very um, public advocate. Um, okay. For, he was, he was, um, he pled guilty, I think, to being in the Capitol, but got um, relatively little punishment for it because of some mitigating factors. Yeah, and, but, um, but they pled guilty. Doesn't that fall them the rest of their life? Are these misdemeanors or felonies they're pleading guilty to? Well, and what is that? Mis- Go ahead. Mis- you know, I mean, the thing is, is that with the Oath Keepers, right? Um, some of these nitwits pled guilty to felonies. The whole point of pleading guilty is you plead guilty to something less. Yeah. You know, you, you have. 
you'd have to be a moron to plead to some. So, so some of these people pled guilty to the most serious charges. Like, what the hell? I mean, it, it, make, it makes it makes light sense. sentences. Do they get light sentences for that? I mean, of course, they, do they lose their gun rights and voting rights and any other rights? Of course, I don't believe you can do that. But anyway, what, what, what happened when they did this? Well, I don't think they've been to sentencing yet. Oh. And, and the thing That's is that they but, – but federal in federal courts, um, they cannot the, – the, the prosecutor cannot guarantee what, their, what the outcome is going to be. So, you know, so if you plead guilty, you've waived all your rights with no promises whatsoever. So, so there's, you know, <clears throat> I mean, the only promises that the government can make <clears throat> is, is that they're going to drop a bunch of other charges and that, um, you know, may, and that they'll, and that they'll, by keeping a charge with a short maximum, that they may have an influence over what what's at stake, but the but the judge can do anything he wants, mm-hmm. even if you pled guilty. Yeah, the judges that's a whole different thing. Hey, you know something? I just thought we got about three or four minutes left before Dorothy gets here. Um, we talked about this with the Twenty Second Amendment that if Trump takes office after January twentieth of twenty twenty two, that would have been Saturday. <laughs> it was the first time we had a chance to talk about it. He can serve out the rest of this term, which is his term, because he won the election. Uh, and I should ask Christina Bob this question too. Uh, and then he can still run in twenty twenty four because as of January twenty first, if he if he gets put back in this term, he will have served less than two years. And if I read the twenty second amendment correctly, if you serve less than two years, it doesn't count as a full term and you can run again. I, I don't know. Um. <clears throat> okay, just curious. But um, I mean, I mean, these, as I say, these are all things that we we don't really know. So <clears throat> anyway, so on on. But let me say, so last week, Amy Berman Amy Berman Jackson, who Larry, whom Larry. Clayman is not a fan. I could say something else, but I don't want to get him into <laughs> We get, we get uh, the message. Who is a liberal, pro-government, um, anti-conservative judge, um, found Joshua Black not guilty of the most serious charge of... Um, of uh, obstructing an official proceeding with a maximum of 20 years. And this was, this was a complete shock. And the reason she did it is the reason I've been discussing, which is that the government actually has to prove its case. And she says that the government, and she said it, it wasn't that the government, the government's evidence was unconvincing. It's that the government's evidence was non-existent. The Ooh. government put on no at all to support the charge. They just blundered, they just, you know, sashayed in there and thought that, you know, that we don't like them is, is a good enough reason to convict them. Was well, that the way they think? And, 
you mentioned before oh, that yeah. just being there makes you guilty. You know, uh, see, here's the thing: you've got government, you've got federal government judges, federal government prosecutors, you've got you know federal government property, you've got federal DC residents. I mean, the whole system is completely stacked against them. They're, they're all oriented towards government, and they all make money from government. Uh huh. <laughs> Well, that's conflict of interest, so, um, isn't it? Well, how, do fair, I mean, I don't how do you get a fair trial in a place where they're all dependent on government money, you know, for their livelihoods? Well, you know, that's, DC that's federal true, yeah. money. We're working on that too. Is that is okay. is all the motions to change? There have been dozens of motions to change venue, but they've all been badly written and badly done. And Trennis has actually done some research on on why the motion to change venue should be should be um, granted. Um, but but anyway, so this was a complete shock to everybody and all the all the haters online that the government actually has to prove that the actual defendant, not a crowd, you cannot prosecute a crowd, you cannot find a crowd guilty. You have to prosecute the the actual person, especially when the government has chosen to um, to break these people out into into the, into small groups or individuals. So mm-hmm. if some, I mean, if they were to do this logically, there would be one trial and one case with 980 defendants, which of course would be um, a real problem. But that would make it would make more sense. So they're trying to prosecute the entire crowd, but they've only got one person in front of them, and they can't do that. And and like I say, the, the the prosecutors were sputtering and angry and confused, and they they said that we're trying to argue the relative guilt of Richard Barnett as opposed to the others in the crowd. And you know we keep having to. I mean, you shouldn't have to keep repeating. These people, it's like they've got learning disabilities, and I can say that because I did when I was young. Um, that they, um, they, uh, um, um, I mean, they, they really cannot understand that. No, it isn't that he's less guilty than others. It's that he's not guilty at all, unless you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt every part of the crime. And they don't get that. They're saying, but oh, you're trying to. You're trying to argue that he's he's just I mean, because they're they're assuming that he's guilty. They cannot comprehend the idea that the January sixth people might not be guilty. It's like, well, we all know they're guilty, so you know we're just nibbling around the edges. It's like, no, he and if you don't prove it, he walks. It's your job to prove it, and if you can't prove it, you should never have brought the case. Um, so um, you know, so that's. That, but, but so there, and I want to, I want to at that point with this, the complete loss and abandonment of constitutional due process is a thousand times more alarming than anything people think happened on January 6th. If we have completely lost the concept of proving people guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, then that's, that is an insurrection and a threat to our democracy a thousand times worse than anything else. Um, no, I but anyway, so I absolutely agree. So, so we're fighting back and forth now with 
uh, Richard, Bar Richard Barnett, who was, uh, they, the trial, the trial was, was short. It was closed on Friday, and the jury now has the case. <clears throat> With all these January 6th people, among the attorneys, who, and these are the attorneys who actually showed up, who didn't just mail it in, um, they've been saying for a year, year and a half to each other, including me, <clears throat> when I was part of that group, that you're, never, you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to win before a D.C. jury. You have to be aiming for appeal. And there are some very, very serious issues. Oh, I was going to say that you, you, you asked about something earlier, but I mean, my comment is that, the, is that at least two of the judges are competing for how many errors they can make per minute. Um, and, and whether they can get into the Guinness Book of World, uh, of, of world Records for the, for the most egregious appellate, uh, appealable errors in one yeah. trial. Um, so these things need to go up on appeal, and that's a monster job. It's expensive. It's, it's hard work. It's harder almost than the trial. But if these issues are not resolved, um, We've lost our country for that and a million, you know, a hundred other reasons that, you know, it's one, one of a hundred reasons why we've lost our country. If the, if the approach that the DOJ is taking is not corrected by the appeals court, all Americans are in jeopardy. Um, and uh, and we've, we've become a police state. Uh, That's what I want to let you so, go. I got to I got to hold you up a bit because we've got uh, Dorothy here, but I wanted to do uh, to get that all included because that's that's the most important thing you know, we've said this entire hour, um, and that the presumption of innocence you know is is paramount. And without that, you know, and, and people forget that the the rights we have, the laws we have, the reason for due process is not to offer criminals a technicality to get them off. The reason we have due process and rights is so that the honest people don't get convicted, and people forget that. And what you're really doing here, what you're talking about is exactly that claim that uh, this isn't about, you know, getting criminals off on technicalities. This is about protecting the innocent uh, so that they don't get wrongly convicted by using due process and the proper rules of evidence. And these judges are just making stuff up. Where's the Congress? Most of these judges sound like they need to be recalled and got rid of. Yeah. So Congress is just as much as fault, at fault as the Department of Justice. I don't put it just on the DOJ. It's right on the Congress, too, because they should be recalling these judges and getting rid of them. But the geldings won't do it, the gelding old party. Let me give you one more point, uh, one more comment, and then I want to get to Dorothy. And if you have is fundraising sites or anything that uh, you can give for, for contact uh, for people to help out, you know, the January 6th lawyers, including you. Let's do that. Well, the, um, the Gateway Pundit up at the top has a section called American Gulag, which is a different lawsuit, but it summarizes all of the it summarizes all of the different cases and includes their fundraising page. So anyone who wants to help can go and pick their favorite person and, and, and donate to, to there. And, and like I said, I, we have can we get on there? legal. <laughs> can we get our, our givesengo.com slash action radio? We're out there in the gulag yeah. too. Okay. Well, well thank you. I'm going to go contact them. And let's get we pundit. Yeah. In fact, I, I've been trying to get them on the show for about a, what, a year and a half now. We'll get them. Well, they're Someday. good. I mean, I, yeah. I've gotten to know some of them. Yeah. Uh, well, the, um, let's talk off the air. 
<laughs> I gotta let you go then, now, right. or at least I, I want to switch reports right now. Though, but uh, this is this is going to be an ongoing issue. We have to we have to pick this up next time. So, uh, concluding statement, and then right. let me get to uh, to Dorothy. Yeah. All right. Great. Okay. Okay. Talk to you. Thanks for talk to you soon then. Yeah, let's talk off the air okay. too. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's Jonathan Mosley. Um, up there in the right near the D.C. swamp over in Virginia. So we're going to totally change venues, topics, everything. This is one of my, my favorite times of the week that we get to completely digress from what we, we normally do uh, with politics, legal stuff, and things like that. And we're going to talk about sex and sensuality. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Okay, now I'm ready. I've heard our theme. <laughs> now I'm ready to go. <laughs> Good morning, Dorothy. Am I on? Can you hear you're me? You're on. Yes, you're live. Hello. Hello. It's been a couple weeks. <laughs> I know. You've been busy. You've been traveling. You've been, you've been globetrotting. I was having delightful travels. So great. And um, I'm happy to be back, though. I'm sitting in my spot. We usually talk on my comfy bed with my hot coffee next to me and my juice and it's just it's nice to be back the sun is shining on the bed here and making me warm so i'm in a happy place even though it's not costa rica (laughs) well i love our chats but i want to hear all about the trip you know you start people over again too the the why's the wherefore's why you left and uh, of course i want to know all the good Mm -hmm. stuff what you found what you know the discoveries the the why there and just you know all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, so how'd you end up in costa rica so I was spiritually and intuitively called to the Nicoya Peninsula in 2021, and I was on a long journey of ending my soul contract with my, you know, legal spouse and, and understanding that that relationship and what we had to offer each other and learn from was over no matter how, you know, I tried to stay for years and it just wasn't. It was really not good for either of us in many ways and for the children. So I intended a peaceful, conscious, um, you know, disenmeshment. And um, I felt really strongly called to go to Costa Rica at that time that I knew I was going to make that decision. Um, And I'm not even sure why, but it reminded me of all the important, beautiful things in life. The Nicoya Peninsula is a blue zone where people tend to live to over 100 and quote scientists and quote don't know why, but many researchers that I align with believe that it's because they value family, extended family living with them, caring for children, bringing children to work, everyone's included, um, being outdoors a lot. There's a ton of um, oxygen and vegetation everywhere. It's basically jungle and there's tons of fresh fruit. A lot of things are grown. People tend to have chickens. They tend to grow their own food. A lot of elements that are missing from our society, a lot of laughter and dance, a little more relaxed with sexuality. I could go on and on, but there's, I believe that it's because they're more human. They're living a true authentic human existence more where it's, you know, pura vida. 
you know, pure life where healthy food and uh, family is emphasized, spirituality and religion. So interrupt me whenever you want, because this is a long no, no, story. No, no, this, this, is, this is fun. No, it's okay. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm trying to be a mm-hmm. better listener, actually. <laughs> this is sort of really oh, my project I think year. you're a good listener. You just have a lot to say. But um, well, that's the problem. Well, I think we were meant to be telepathic, and I think oh, some okay. of us come, well, anyway, it's a different topic, but yeah. rapid next exchange week. of ideas. But yeah, mm-hmm. next week. So I felt so incredibly uplifted, happy, nourished, and at home. I felt at home. I felt like my soul had found a place where she could say, oh, this is how we were living, and this is how we were intended to live on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I think and that's how we used to live well, in we would, the United States you know, to a large extent. The, there you know, the family that, farm, yeah. the, you know, the farm values, the, uh, the grow your own food, and people were much more self-reliant. They were homeschooled. You didn't have the drugs. You didn't have the vaccines. You didn't have the, the stresses. You didn't have unemployment because everybody worked on the farm. You had extended families. There was no... You know, there wasn't really much need. Well, there wasn't, you know, welfare as we know it now. Uh, and there weren't nursing homes and things like that. I mean, the things that, uh, that have separated people, I mean, their whole society is based on separation. You know, husbands are separated from wives and children are separated from parents and, and older folks are separated from everybody. <laughs> you know, is that their entire society is based on separation. We, we've separated ourselves from natural food, from fun, from interesting activities, from humor, from religion, from God, from everything you can think of. You know, we've got a separation complex. And I think it's destroying people because, you know, when you isolate, you destroy. That's what killed the COVID people, the, the, the people that had or, or not or whatever, you know, in the hospitals. Agreed. What killed them the elderly, was the isolation. The forced, yeah. the, well, also remdesivir, but agree with you. The forced yeah. isolation, it's so unnatural. It's so anti-human. It's so AI technology. It's so dark entity. Um, and we've allowed that to pervade our culture. We said yes to it. We've consented. We've given consent, which is a universal law. Mm-hmm. People put their elderly. They're, they're convinced that it's that I'm just going to say this at risk of offending. They're convinced it's okay to put a small child in daycare where family mm-hmm. isn't caring for the child, and that yep. it's okay for an elderly. And I hear the stories. People going to say, "Oh, I have to. I don't I have to. I have to." You're not a slave unless you agree to be a slave. And when you ask God, a pathway opens up. If you say, "God, I don't know how to do this. I got a sick parent." I got this, I got that. Give me some help. Send me help. Send me away. Look, it's hard work, you know, but life comes in these waves of, of pleasure and, and, and turmoil. But it's supposed and to be hard work. here to learn. There is hard, hard work. work involved. And your job yeah. is to find the joy in the hard work. Your job is to channel in that service to others' energy that you came on this earth to do right. and know that you're doing your job. And then consistently seek pleasure. And I talk about that a lot. Even in the most difficult life, you can seek mm-hmm. pleasure in little ways all the time. You can actually have a high-frequency vibration that then attracts more help, more support, pathways open up. This is real. This is magical. So in the Nicoya Peninsula, not just – and I think about the U.S. and what you're talking about and how we used to be that way. In some ways, yes, but when you take the religiosity, the Victorian attitude, which is very shaming, um, mm-hmm. there is some of that missing. That, again, they got contaminated with that a little bit. But that is missing, that sort of shame and like, I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do that. And these rules that sort of bend our shoulders and close our heart and close our throat where we lose Mm -hmm. our voice. A lot of that is missing there. And I don't know why, how they escaped that sort of um, energy, 
but I don't, I don't feel that way. The dancing is very open. I feel like dancing might be a key component of this. A culture that dances from the time they're tiny children regularly mm-hmm. as part of the family culture, there's, I, there's something so liberating, body-freeing, releasing trauma if there is any. Um, we know that scientifically now from somatic healing therapy. This culture, mm-hmm. they're bringing this small children when there's dancing. Like, you know, I was out the other night at the Cuban restaurant. There were three small children. They were crawling under the bar stools because that was part, that's part of the culture of the, of the people that were attending that night. And, and, in, and in Costa Rica, there's that same energy of the children are welcome. And um, not as much in the towns where I will say, well, the, where the French are sort of a super dominant presence, because that isn't true in a lot of towns with the Canadians. Um, you see less of that, which is interesting, but mm. it's still part of part of the culture. And so if you're a small child and you see your mommy and daddy hugging and dancing late at night, laughing with their friends, and you're dancing from a young age in a celebratory way, um, it also expresses sexuality and not to be offensive. We're not talking about children and inappropriate sexuality. We're talking about knowing that sexuality is a part of adult life and seeing that and sort of, oh, gosh, I don't know how to say this, tasting that energy as a mm-hmm. small child because you grow up into embodying that energy in your relationships versus now what do I do? You know, like <laughs> I'm lost. I'm, I have sexual attraction, yet I don't have any way to express it in a healthy way. Kids have to see it. And, um, and, and the sort of very central Latin dancing is a way it can be observed in a healthy way um, and embodied, if that makes sense. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. dancing is pretty hot. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. It is I, I hot. Learned. I got to learn to salsa. Yeah. yeah it's like fun. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I mean, the Foxtrot's cool, but, you was, know, salsa looks better. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, salsa, bachata, well, merengue, cumbia, and then reggaeton, which ooh. sort of scares me because I don't even really understand it, but I think it's What's basically that? just some grinding. <laughs> oh, you mean sex on the dance floor? What, what, what do they say? That uh, sex mean, might lead to dancing <laughs> or something like that? Freaking hot. Yeah. yeah. Don't have sex. It might lead to dancing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, well, I have a good friend that was a ballerina, and she says Ooh. that um, she was a classical dancer for many years, and she says there's absolutely a, a correlation um, that men who are good dancers are also much better in bed. See, I want a dance competition. I wonder. Anyway, that's another story. Um, that this is, is another story. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I used to. I did dance marathons for multiple sclerosis, and uh, you know, we we always. I mean, that, that wow. was const, That was a con. Oh, it was fun. We could do it. Twenty-eight hours. Yeah. A little hypnosis in the morning. We're fine. Twenty-eight um, but, hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I used to. That's. Uh, I, did, I think I did either down. two or three of them. I'm not sure how many. Maybe I, I'll say two for sure. So yeah, it was for multiple sclerosis. We used to raise money, uh, and um, you know, you gotta have a good partner. Not a girlfriend, fortunately. Um, but we, we did the whole 28 hours. Now that you get a little break, you get to like five minutes per hour or something like that. But uh, it goes all night, you know, and they get like a half hour break at six in the morning. We all get a hypnotist come in. And, and actually, the, the hardest part's about three, four in the morning. Uh, and then we get our break and then it gets tough again. But the last couple hours, for some reason, we're all energized. You know, we do 28 hours and we did it, uh, uh, like I said, I know I did it twice and raised some serious money for multiple sclerosis. So it was a good cause. You'd be amazed what you can do. You know, you just have to try it. Yeah. Well, I love dancing, and so my heart love was that called. Much? <laughs> I, I I think I could do that. But the topic I was thinking of for today that I was actually mm-hmm. discussing with girlfriends the other night when we were watching watching couples dance, um, Colombian couples and some Cuban. We were watching couples like 
so in love on the dance floor and we were reflecting on the leading and following. So I've been Latin dancing for, I guess, lightly for years now. And the biggest struggle I had was following and learning how to follow because we're not really taught that in U.S. culture, how to follow someone, a, a man dancing. I mean, if you take professional lessons, maybe, but that's it. And I felt like there was a strong parallel, actually, to the masculine and feminine energy in relationships. We also, as women and young girls, aren't taught to follow a strong male leader in any way, shape, or form, especially if you don't have well, one in your new. house. Yeah, but it used to, well, wait, what happened to Father Knows Best? Your, you know, uh, uh, Robert Young, gone. you know, and, and uh, my three sons with, with the dad. Of course, they didn't have women there, you know, but uh, we, there, there was a change. Now, we should talk about this. This is a fascinating topic. You know, as a guy observer so, of these things, from father yeah. knows best to, to dad's an idiot, <laughs> you know, uh, and all those different, you know, and that happened probably in the 70s. But uh, you look at the 50s and 60s shows, you know, men were, were projected as knowledgeable, strong, and, uh, you know, they were perfect, but uh, they were definitely, you know, as no leader is perfect. But, yeah, there was, there was a very big difference. And it was interesting, too, this is why one of my favorite topics is, is women's movie scripts in the 40s. Because, you know, there's World War II and, you know, from Rosie the Riveter is not going to watch, you know, Susie Homemaker, you know, in some cheap movie with some stupid parts. They want to have full woman characters, you know, equal to the guys. And that's exactly what happened. So watch 40s movies, particularly made during World War II. They're really quite fascinating for that, for that regard. But something happened. Some along the way, the men became idiots, uh, especially white guys, had no leadership qualities whatsoever. Uh, and... Uh, you know, learning to dance. I mean, I, you know, my mother taught me how to dance and, uh, you know, and uh, she led, then I led, you know, I was like, what, five, six years old, something like that. But if it's in your family, you know, and you learn about it. And then we, and I went to a high school, fortunately, which had a World War II um, band leader. He was, he served in the Pacific as a radio operator, but he was a swing musician. So we, we had swing bands in high school. So we all learned how to jitterbug. So we learned how to lead. You had to, you know, otherwise you weren't going to be on the dance floor. So the dancing changed, you know, anybody can stand and shake, but when you actually have a form that's fun, you know, and, uh, you had, and I don't care whether the man leads or the woman leads, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to try and follow. I wasn't very good at it, but a lot of women weren't good at leading, but the whole idea of, of, of a guy leading, I perfectly comfortable, you know, uh, leading, um, because I've done it most like 99% of my dancing. Um, but, um, that seems real natural though. And, and I guess that's mm. not anymore. I don't know. But salsa, how does it well, work? Do, do the leads go back okay, and forth? Okay, so this or, is interesting. There, yeah. Okay, so you can dance salsa by yourself with the ladies in the group, but once a man who knows what he's doing takes your hand, and again, there's so many steps to this that I'm reflecting on. So in order to have a good dance experience, right? and I've had both now in my Latin <laughs> dance repertoire, yeah, bad dance um, experiences. Okay, in order to have tell. a good one, what, is it, what does it take? And I'm thinking, it, well, it takes a man to approach you, but not all of a sudden just come up and grab your hand, but he has to ask. I prefer eye contact. I want a few moments to assess this person to see if I want to dance with them. So a little conversation for me first is nice. I don't have to have it, but, um, but I like to see if I even want to dance with him. And then he needs to invite me. I need to accept. And then I need to really trust him because if he is just kind of really whirling me around more forcefully, it can be a little scary. I'll be honest because I can't keep up and um, I'm newer at it. And if he has a very limp hand and I'm not sure what he wants me to do and he thinks he's turning me, 
but he's not really showing me what he needs me to do. It's like the right amount of pressure and the right amount of guidance. Then it kind of gets really sloppy. Um, so just the right firmness and direction. And then it goes really well. Um, and my, my job, I feel like, is to either say, no, I don't want to dance, mm-hmm. or to um, withdraw from the dance if I don't like it. It's like a date. Um, Sounds like a date. Yeah, but I'm, I really need to trust him to be a good leader. And if he does, we have such a fun, fantastic time. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, it's kind of awkward, and it's a little lead? yucky feeling. Can you hmm? lead? Can you lead? So I was told for many years to stop leading, that I need to learn to follow, <laughs> that, I'm le- that I'm leading, that I'm leading, right? But I believe this was my upbringing. I, I see such a correlation with masculine feminine energy. Um, we don't trust men to lead. We were told not to. We either didn't have a home oh, where there was a good, strong male leader who we could uh-huh. trust to not jerk us and whirl us all around or also not to be a wishy-washy dish rag and never be able to make a good decision to be kind and confident, to invite and guide, but not force, right? To, you invite and guide, and then you listen. If the woman, when she's dancing, doesn't follow your lead for a turn, it means she wasn't ready. So don't keep pushing and force her to turn around. Just relax. There'll be another opportunity, and maybe you, maybe you guide her and make an eye contact and kind of give a little more of a um, notice that before you turn, or you can even verbally say, okay, the next time we step two to the left, I'm going to turn you. And um, that's such a lovely thing to do to a newer dancer. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, I remember my turn. Okay. You know, and in relationships and in family, the same. If you have a hesitant follower or an insecure follower, you might prime them like you do with children. Hey, you know, we're actually going to take a trip to um, such and such a place in June in a couple months. It's going to be fun. Here's some pictures of what it looks like. Not just, okay, everyone in the car, we're going to... You, you know, there's mm-hmm. it's, there's such a similarity in leading with Latin dance and leading in a family or with your intimate partner. I think it can't be overemphasized. And as the feminine, choosing wisely, having boundaries, and then when you choose wisely, letting go and trusting and breathing. And yes, mistakes will happen because you're new together. But if you have a good leader and you chose wisely... Um, you're going to have a really good time. So let go and let him do his thing and follow and see where it takes you. <laughs> no, actually, and I, I don't see anything less with a follower or a leader. I mean, I, I don't think a leader is the supreme and a follower is, is uh, you know, the dependent one. Uh, I look at this as an equal partnership, but what you've done is you've delegated. And so, and this could go mm-hmm. for a marriage and for communication where in, I bet you in every relationship, there are times, you know, when the guy's going to lead and there are times when the woman's going to lead. And as long as they can work out the differences, and there are times when, when each one should follow. And if you can work those out through communication, the relationship contract, which we talked about earlier, is a fascinating concept for this. So, so if, you, if you imagine the relationships of dance, you know, and it's, uh, it, it, you know, I'll tell you, like I say, I learned jitterbugging in high school. Uh, when I hit college, uh, disco came out. I mean, Saturday Night Fever came out, you know, my, my, my freshman year of college. So I heard this horrible noise next door in the room next door in the dorm. This was one of the first co-ed dorms. I'm like, what are these guys singing this horrible falsetto voice? It sounded terrible. And they played it over and over and over again. And then I got to the clubs. This is when I discovered the BGs had changed from, from the guys to, uh, the, to the, the girly men match their sexuals. But it was kind of cool. All right. Anyway, so Saturday night, you know, staying alive. Okay. I heard staying alive. And we all learned to dance. So the disco dancing was actually a follow-up from Jitterbug. It's all the same moves to a different tempo, but it's still lead and following dancing. 
you know, it was dancing. It wasn't just stand there and shake. And so in the same way, disco perpetuated the, the idea of leading and following. And if you go back to, to mm-hmm. let's go back to old, old Europe, you know, I think there's a lot to the, the, the macho, the, the Latin cultures as they were, um, of, of much more of a, of a strong male presence. But you figure the tango, where'd that come from? Italy, <laughs> France, I don't know where the tango came from. But that's, you know, a white European, you know, strong, you know, male uh, dance, for example, as mm-hmm. opposed to the waltz, which I think is more equal. But it's interesting. We should we could do a study of dance. But in this each all of these dances, there's a leader and a follower, whether it's waltz or, right? I guess Ooh, I don't know. Tango I don't, for sure for a has a leader and follower. Which one? Tango definitely does. So yeah, I think you're right. Though the waltz might be more. Yeah, it's more. more equal. It's so much so structured that the, it's kind of like see the, so now that's an interesting point too. So a dance like the waltz is completely structured. So even though there's a leader and a follower, they already know what to do. Whereas the there's tango, there's never yeah. any room for. Well, yeah. same with um, bachata and salsa. There's a ton of room for creativity. I mean, if you're dancing with certain salsa dancers, there's not even, it doesn't feel like there's any, we're even stepping anymore. Like, like where did the steps even go? And, and <laughs> a good leader reminds me like, okay, no, no, just come back to the step. And, and they're right. You do come back to it. But for so much of the dance, like, what are we even doing? Ah, okay. And that's interesting what you said about the macho Latin. That uh-huh. is very true. And what I've noticed is, there is that great sexy element of I am man. Mm-hmm. And then on the dance floor, a good leader is in his feminine a lot. He is very much in contact with his feminine energy. And the reason I, I know that is because a good leader is sensitive, receptive, and watching the follower very well. Like, like really softens so... up, is, is leading, but is soft enough to really be receptive to her energy and what she needs in that moment whether it's more whirling and fun or like slow, careful, we're learning. Let, you know what I mean? It's very lovely. <laughs> this is fascinating. Well, it raises an interesting point. And, of course, we understand what he needs too. He, let's see from the guy perspective, if I'm a leader, mm-hmm. I want uh, someone that can keep up. <laughs> I want someone that, uh, that has the same energy level. I don't want to put somebody, I don't want to put a woman in a position to dance with me who's not going to want to enjoy you know, a more enthusiastic jitterbug disco dance, whatever we're doing, just because that's not fair. So well, I, have to pick a, I, have to, I have to pick a person too. So in other words, you're well, making, cause I'm, okay. you know, yeah. If you, if you see a woman that you desire to dance with, right. I think expecting her to be on your level is not showing good leadership. It's showing, I'm going to be honest, a little selfishness. If you are a true leader, and you choose a woman, and you're, you're coming from your masculine energy, and you're choosing a feminine energy partner, and again, uh-huh. assuming a lot, right. and you're assuming, and you're choosing, and you're expecting her to be on your level and to meet your energy and ability. Well, I was expecting, I just, and, you know, but at least it's, yeah. a, it's a better choice. You know what you just done is fascinating. Uh, for the mm. woman, whoa, the man has to meet her needs, and that's not selfish? <laughs> Listen to you. What I'm saying is this. You're, you're <laughs> so asking funny. her to follow you, Greg. You're asking oh. a lot. You're asking her to trust you and follow you. Therefore, being a good leader requires that connection and sensitivity. Mm-hmm. If I but have three children lead. I'm leading at home, yeah, if I have three different it. children, which I, I do, right, I'm leading at home, right. I cannot interact with my – I love them all equally, but I cannot interact with my oldest the way I do with my middle, the way I do with my youngest. They're three different people. So if mm-hmm. I'm getting them all in the car – I mean, I can railroad and just scream, or I can go to my oldest and say, hey, I need you in the car in five minutes. You know, and my middle one, I'm like more of a, mm, mm, mm. if you don't do it, you're losing your screen. And my youngest yeah. one, I take him by the hand, and I just help him with his shoes. So 
I don't know. I feel like a good leader. If you're choosing that person, then mm-hmm. your job is to, if you're going to be kind about it, is to expect your needs to get met at some point, but not from the get-go if, if they're not capable. You need to get them there. You know, So if you want to dance wildly, mm-hmm. you can have that desire, but that person may not be able to do it right in that moment. No, it, just, it just fascinates me, the orientation, that when we talk about this too, that uh, you know, the, 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 it's, uh, it's always from the woman's perspective, which is fine. I mean, that makes perfect sense. But uh, it's just that the requirement of, of guys, you know, even in guys trying to meet their own needs, still have to meet the needs of the woman from the way you're talking about this. It's just fascinating to listen to. But so, if you, what is your need? If you're, is your need a partner who's receptive and delighted in you? Or mm-hmm. is your need a partner who goes through the motions that you want her to go through and leaves feeling a little overwhelmed, scared, and dissatisfied, but you got your needs met? So, but that's no fun for me. It, it is a part- well, wait, wait, wait. It's a partnership. Wait, uh, but I wouldn't get my mm-hmm. needs met if I didn't have a partner. Okay. So if I have someone that's not having fun, then, then there's no way that my needs are being met. My needs are not you know, to, to, to dominate and to lead and have somebody follow me exactly the way I want them to follow. My, my needs are to have fun. So I want somebody that's going to have fun. And I can't have fun unless they're having fun. That's my need. Correct. So okay. I agree with this. I guess, I guess what you, when you said, I want to make sure my partner, you know, wants to have fun and dance really big and like get, you know, have a really like you sort of um, expressed that your need was for her to keep up. You said to keep up. And to, well, in other but, words, I don't want to have somebody who might be embarrassed, who's never followed, who's never danced, who's never been on the floor, who's never done whatever. I mean, but that, that would go for anybody, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I tell you, the most of my friends were sort of in that position. Well, we're sort of assumptions. in that position. Yeah, so, you make so assumptions we would never sometimes. have a. Okay. We would never have a partner. My friends and I would never have mm-hmm. a partner if every man felt that way. And I can tell you, they don't. What they want is for you to enjoy yourself, smile, and be willing to try and be willing to laugh. That makes a good dance. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot of men that don't mind if you're new and you're not quite sure exactly what to do. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you find out immediately when, when you're you willing dance to try. Yeah, and I'm no mm-hmm. expert either, so I'm, I'm willing to learn. You know, I, I like learning stuff too, you know, as far as it goes. But I don't think, I think it, it's almost, I, I think I sounded like I have more expectations than I really do. When I ask someone to dance, it's like, hmm, you look like fun. Let's <laughs> dance. You know, it's, it's much more simple than that. And then you find yeah. it immediately because you so, don't know these things. That's a lot of expectations. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. At least I didn't think so. <laughs> you know. No, I was like, I said, I hope, I hope you, I hope it, I hope, yes, because, um, mm-hmm. well, and, and it's understandable. And there are definitely, we've been to plenty of places where, you know, I can, we can tell that, that the men are having patience with us, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there are some men that will do one dance and they'll go find a more skilled partner, 100%. <laughs> and do then there are some that can, Pardon? Do you have patience Not for them at all. too? Zero. This is relationships. You ebb okay. and flow. You say hello. You feel someone out, and there's a good fit or there's not. But I was going to say there's some men that will hang out all night near you because they delight in that experience of the willingness, the vulnerability, the shyness, and the kind of awkwardness. It doesn't bother them at all. They enjoy being that kind of leader that um, that shows you the way and that teaches. And so there's all different kinds of men. Or they just want to take you home. Women. That's the other possibility. Of course. Of course. But they, they seem to enjoy I, – I am thinking of a friend in particular. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. his name. But oh, yeah. um, he's there in that town that I visit. And mm-hmm. he actually has ultimate patience and enjoys um, – does not mind at all a newer dancer at all. He, he doesn't have any need to have an experienced 
salsa or bachata dancer that was born in the country or raised in that way. Okay, um, I think it's more fun to teach new people. Don't forget, I used to be a flight instructor. I took, I took people from a completely unnatural <laughs> environment, you know, the ground, and said, let's go fly. And within 20 minutes, mm-hmm. I, you know, actually within five minutes, but I could usually tell pretty quickly whether someone was going to take to it or not. Um, so I love showing people new experiences. So dance floor, you know, airplanes, action radio, yeah. any of the stuff. I mean, I've, my whole life I've loved sharing experiences uh, with, with people to, you know, show them something new. This whole show is about doing things that are new and, and never have been tried. So the requirements, I guess, we're, I guess mm-hmm. we agree that the requirements are willingness, ability to make mistakes, ability to laugh and just have a good time, even mm-hmm. if you're new at something, even if so. Yeah, and taking that back to partnerships and masculine feminine energy, I kind of mm-hmm. think that's what we're talking about too. Like um, Always. The <laughs> man approaches. About masculine feminine energies, yeah. Well, you, you've, got two, well, you've got two people that are masculine the man and feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, I mean, well, I, I think the two of us mm-hmm. are so strong in our different areas of masculine and feminine uh, that that's what makes it so interesting. But I got a question for you. I was thinking as you were talking yeah. um, that especially with the dance floor about, you know, you know, looking at your partner and seeing if they're enjoying themselves. It seems to me, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this or not, that in order to have strong masculine energy, you have to have strong feminine energy at the same time. Uh, you may be expressing masculine energy and feminine is the same thing that women in order to, to express feminine have to have a real strong understanding or be, you know, have, have a masculine in them as well, that you can't, that there's this, there's something, there's something really going on here that I don't think we've, we've really explored that this real blending, you know, and my daughter used to tease me about being in touch with my feminine side. And I thought it was a joke then, but you know, cause, cause I listen, you know, and I, I, I do stuff, but, but in order to be a strong man, you have to understand feminine. In order to be a strong woman, you have to understand masculine and to have a strong relationship and a partnership. I think you have to, you know, both people have to understand both. Have we ever talked about that? You have to be connected with that energy inside yourself because we all have both. So, okay. so even though in my life I choose or I feel more comfortable in my feminine energy, there are times where, of course, I use masculine energy, you know, linear, goal-oriented, um, direct assertive, of course, I play in that arena all the time. I kind of, quote, have to in real life, my modern life, you know, parenting and now being a single mom. Uh, But yet in relationship, my ideal, I can soften and be mostly in my feminine. And when my man is doing his confusing, quote, confusing masculine stuff that I could (laughs) interpret in a hurtful way, well, well, really, if you're, like what you're saying, if you're not understanding it, then you mm-hmm. might be interpreting it in a hurtful way or an offensive way. Mm-hmm. You know, how, what does true. he think? He's going to do this and he's going to do that. <laughs> he's going to take my hand and lead me on this dance floor. I didn't even, I mean, who is he? I'm going to lead him. That's what's going to happen now. I'll show him. Yeah. I'm going to show him what a great leader I am. Look, you can do all that. <laughs> great. Have fun with it. But yeah. I, it causes friction. And um, so I can choose to, like, see that when my man is, seems to be ignoring me. And he's very task focused and I'm not part of it. But that's not because he doesn't love me and I'm not getting my feelings hurt. It's because he's task focused and he's very direct and he's going to get that done because he's a good provider and he gets shit done. And what I, oh, excuse my language. And what I tend to do, I'll be honest, the feminine tends to be circuitous, nonlinear, tangential. That's why we can have multiple conversations at once and we interrupt each mm-hmm. other and keep, you know, and we kind of go from topic to topic. It, it's less. See, I thought that, that was ADHD because I do all that too. <laughs> it's kind of well, funny. It, that energy is less likely to get from point A to point B, less likely to accomplish tasks. 
So when I need to accomplish something, I'm probably playing in more of my masculine energy. When I'm okay. being creative and flowy and dancing and, and just, you know, relaxing, I'm more of my feminine. But what you're saying is we need to understand each other. Yes, we need to honor and understand the energy. And if someone's more in one than the other, we realize that's perfect for them. And we love them for being in that energy. And um, we don't try to, you know, if we're in an intimate relationship, we don't try to both have the same role. Mm-hmm. Right? We try to divide the roles, and you talked about well, that dance. also. Like, it's mm-hmm. a dance. Yeah. But what I'm thinking is, and this is, this is i gotta, I got to think more about this, but I think I might be onto something, that for, for you know, a, a man with real masculine qualities, you know, even though you, he might only be showing and dealing in the masculine, has either an understanding of feminine, or it's, it's like the yin and yang. It's just as strong, but it's not, it's not overt. It's there. It's subconscious. So in other it's words, not where he chooses to be. It's not where he really wants to hang out, but he's okay. in touch with it and he has those qualities available to him. So is it possible that for, for, for strong men that the masculine is conscious and the feminine is subconscious, but it's just as strong? And in women, the, the feminine is conscious and the masculine is subconscious and it's just as strong. And the ability of, of two people to come together, they, <clears> they have both these qualities – but it's like yin and yang, but one's conscious, one's subconscious, but they're both there. And so that's what, that, when, it's a new so theory I'm coming up with. Greg, yeah. well, biologically, Greg, that shifts. So honestly, biologically and energetically in the 20s and 30s, late teens, 20s and 30s, we tend to all, okay, and this is assuming normal hormones, right? Normal be controversial. Don't, don't, don't be bland. Be well, bold. You <laughs> Go know, ahead, tell me. There's a huge spectrum that's very real. So we're talking about... Okay. When the hormones are super high, if mm-hmm. you are identifying with a masculine presence in your mm-hmm. 20s and 30s, you tend to be heavily into that in many ways. And mm-hmm. that can be challenging in intimate relationships. And then we tend to get a little more androgynous after age 40, both energetically and biologically, as testosterone levels start to come down, estrogen levels start to come up, and vice versa for women. So mm-hmm. that's a real thing. This well, how much balance this level thing that we both we both have both and, and that and that we meet in the middle, that tends to be a lot easier after that age. Prior to that age, prior to that age, you can't really fight biology. And if you are a woman, yet you're put in a quote man's world in a man's work role and have huge expectations on you to make decisions all the time and be very like um, direct, linear, data oriented, um, task oriented. Mm-hmm. And then you try to enter intimate relationship. That is very challenging. The burdens on a woman to try to go back and forth in this world are really significant. And it takes a lot of education and a lot of intention. If you are a woman um, and, and you're, you want an intimate, good, healthy relationship with a masculine man. And um, that's, a real, that's a real thing because of what we're talking about. Because, yes, you can play in both worlds. But if you try to take that same energy into your intimate relationship, you class because you're both in the same position. Like you said earlier, there's not a leader, right? There's two well, leaders. Well, no, but I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm just thinking that there's mm-hmm. the overt and the subconscious. I don't know, but it's interesting yeah. you mentioned 40 uh, because you figure, you know, guys under 40, uh, not to generalize, but most men are, you know, career building or they're serving the military or they're doing ambitious, you know, they're doing young men stuff. Women are, you know, either family building, career building, marriage building, uh, and, and having kids. You know, and so, mm-hmm. but 40, what happens at 40? Well, women, it's, it's harder for women to have children after 40. Uh, guys, you know, if they haven't established a career, although I am the exception here, I didn't find a career that I liked, you know, until I was a pretty much at retirement age. Uh, but that's me. But, um, but for the most part, you know, the young men, young women stuff, 
uh, if I can generalize and stereotype slightly, uh, is very different under 40 than above 40. So it actually makes sense biologically, too, that mm-hmm. the strongest attraction, the strongest physical, the strongest drives um, are going to be into those under 40 folks. And so the biology actually is correct. And after 40, it's like, hey, now we can start to, now we, now we can chat. <laughs> now we can, we can dance more equally. We can, we can walk a better path. So, which leads to the question of relationships. We should talk about this too. Relationships before 40 and after 40. And how, these, how, do, high, how, how do high school sweethearts, you know, have a 50-year marriage? Because they're going through that 40 barrier. And so that, that opens up a whole new range of possibilities for us uh, to talk about. I mean, they'll, t- they'll share with you. They have, there's a lot of interviews with people who've been married 40 and 50 years. Um, that that talk about exactly what makes it work, and and they usually don't say it's easy. And they usually don't say they always love their partner, um, but they accept them and they're committed to them. And they have certain rules they follow, and certain expectations. So hmm. it'd be interesting Are to we... watch some of those and reflect. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you: Are we biologically possibly more suited? to two marriages, you know, one 20s and 30s and another one 40s and 50s. Is that well, Margaret Mead said that, the famous anthropologist. She said there's three Ooh. marriages in a woman's What'd life. There's a, Margaret Mead, she's a famous anthropologist. She said no, no, the, the first uh, marriage, <clears throat> yeah. I was going to say, what, who, what did she say? I'm, I'm curious. This is interesting. Yeah. She said the first marriage uh, is for sex, the second one is for children, and the third one is for companionship. And she spoke on huh. that back when we all got married for every long relationship we got married. So we can right. translate that in modern terms as your, you know, your three main loves, your three big loves. And this is for women, so I'm mm-hmm. not sure for men. Well, but I'll see if I can fill sense. in the gap, but I have to do a little research. I haven't, uh, I'm not at the anthropology mm-hmm. level yet, but you know, it, it makes sense. Okay. So why would guys it's get married? It's probably the that? same, Greg. Think about it. Probably. In your twenties, mm-hmm. you're driven by your sex drive and like, right. she's super hot and we get along. Let's get married. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do it all the time. And then, well, but there's and the, then the marriage that, contract though, mm-hmm. right? You know, if, if it, yeah. the, the guy says, yes, I want sex all the time, but I'm only going to have it with you. And the woman says, yes, we'll have sex all the time. I'm only going to have it with you too. I mean, isn't that the contract? But they have sex all the time. I mean, I think I you know say, I'm an advocate for contracts. I don't know. I know. I think there, well, there needs to be, con- like, actually written contracts for sure. Should we but, have a sex contract? Ooh, that'd, I mean, be, that'd be strange. I, I, I feel like it, we need to. And so this is what happens. So let's say there's a sex contract. Let's say we have a relation contract and there's a sex clause. And, it's a, and you know, I ask okay. my partner, how many times do you think you need it in order to be happy? And he uh-huh. might say, I like it twice a week, but once a week is my minimum. Great. Let's put that in there. And then lo and behold, a year, two years later, we're not having it that often for some, you know, a couple of weeks go by and a couple of weeks go by and there's no vacation. There's no reason for it. It's just sort of, and you know, he might say, if, if we're not having this great communication where I've already said, I'm not feeling connected, I'm not feeling safe. This, this disruption happens in our marriage and I'm not feeling safe because a woman can't really have sex unless she, you know, feels safe and cared for. Um, you know, there's a lot of components emotionally for a woman, right? So mm-hmm. I, I haven't done my due diligence and, and been proactive about it. <clears throat> so he has to come to me and say, hey, just so you know, um, the past couple of times I've tried to initiate, you sort of said you're tired, you have a headache. With something going on because we do have this contract and I, and I think we have it for a reason and it's healthy. I think it's healthy. Uh-huh. So what's happening? Right. Um, and then I can say, I'm glad you asked. I wasn't sure how to say it. And I felt really, you know, 
torn about this. I'm not feeling like I want to because of this thing that happened and we haven't really resolved it. And I, I feel mm-hmm. awkward about it and I don't want to bring it up. Um, but I don't feel like I don't feel connected with you. I just don't feel like seen, heard, appreciated, and, and I feel scared about this thing that happened. So whatever it is, you know, but the conversation has to happen because we got to get back to what we agreed on that shows that we have a healthy relationship, that all communication lines are open and respect and cherishing and having our needs met in other ways is happening. Therefore, we have a good sexual relationship because um, the sexual relationship is a direct reflection of the emotional Mm-hmm. Oh, the, sure. The yeah. I, I, I think that's the contract for guys to say, yes, I'm happy to be faithful to, you know, a one and only uh, as long as the one and only is, you know, really wants to have sex with the guy. You know, I think that's the yeah. deal. If, if, if it doesn't work that way, then first of all, don't get married. You never want to get married to somebody that you're, you're not attractive enough to want to have sex with them a lot, whatever a lot is for, for the couple. But uh, things change. That's you know, good advice, change. Greg. Well, you should you. repeat yeah. that. In well, capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, the, but that's the deal. See, that, that's the deal to me. The woman, you know, I think would, uh, whatever the, the, the woman version is that, yes, you know, this guy will be faithful to me forever and ever, and I really want to have sex with him too. You know, I mean, that, that seems to be the contract. And, and somewhere along the way, well, I have, I, I know of a, a couple of horrible cases where women had lots of sex before the marriage, and after the marriage, it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I don't have to do it anymore. Or guys are like really nice before the marriage. And then after the marriage, they're like, okay, she's mine. I don't have to you know, do this anymore. So there's there to me, that's a breach of contract. And how you would do that in a, in a sex contract, because you don't want to make sex a contract. Otherwise, you take all the fun out of it. You know, I mean, prenuptials, I'm sure, take enough uh, out of the romance, but I think they're necessary. Does it? So how do you make a how do you make a contract? Go ahead. I just turned that over in my, in my, for some reason that, that energy was in my mouth, my throat, and my head when you said that. So it's really interesting to me where I, felt, I, I felt that when you said that. I, when you said making sex a contract takes the fun out of it, I, I agreed with you for a second. And then I really like went there and considered it. And I thought, I don't know that it does actually. Okay, tell me. I don't know tell that me. it does. What do you think? Because you haven't done it before, and neither have I. But when I thought about it with, you know, I had to put myself in that position that I, like, literally just did it. Does it? I don't know. We, we, we haven't All done right, well, it. So we have to ask people who have done you, it. I think it might make it actually – so, well, you're not just having a sex contract. This relationship contract is several pages long. Sex is just a little fun in there. We so, got to write one. So, so for, Can we write one? We 100% need to – Yes, that needs to happen. I'm also oh, writing I a book. There's, I, I need like five of myself because all the things I'm doing and that oh, I, I enjoy doing, but just the time in the yeah. day. Yeah. Um, and I also need to vacuum. But, um, okay, so imagine that the, sex, have sex. the sex clause is <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the sex clause is small. And, okay. and so you're not like, don't hyper-focus on it. It's a, it's a conversation like how often do you need it? How often do I need it? We can visit this next month. We can revisit this in six months if it's not working. Mm-hmm. But let's just have a general idea so that if one of us does something, has an issue, or then it's, it's not like we can't sweep it under the rug. We can't pretend it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Because if the sex life is good, the relationship is probably good. Mm-hmm. There's exceptions to that, which are really unusual and fascinating to me. But um, <laughs> Yeah, people who love each other and don't have sex and still love each other. Yeah, that would be interesting. Well, people, people who have, have really sex, great sex, yet and, there is emotional friends. fracture, like huge yeah. emotional fracture. And oh. I think in those, term, in those situations, actually, that emotional mm. fracture is, is modeling. You're modeling your parents' um, relationship, and so it seems normal to you. So, like, there's some satisfaction, some primitive 
deep subconscious and like satisfaction in the emotional fractured relationship. Like, like the fighting feels mm-hmm. like home. So you can still have sex. Oh yeah. Conditioning. Yeah. We unusual. Can... <laughs> yeah. Does that's that how make I sense? ended up in, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, the modeling of what a relationship is supposed to be. It feels comfortable, even though it's dysfunctional. <laughs> that's how I describe yes, it. I can still have sex with you because like, Oh yeah, we're still good. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. Else it's very apart, bizarre, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing, too. In terms of a contract, no, a legal contract is you have to do this or else. And that's the part that, are, that you really can't have in a sex contract. So what I'm thinking of when I think of a sex contract, what, what comes to my mind is that you agree, you know, you, you're basically saying this is the commitment. Okay. It's not ironclad. It's not a days of the week, you know, times of the day kind of thing. It's a contract mm-hmm. that you do find the other person so attractive that you really want to have sex with them all the time. And if something changes, you better talk about it. You know, and so that's that's the contract, because then this is where unfaithfulness comes from, is people not, you know, having their sex lives be what they want. They're going to go elsewhere, which is a which is a breach of the contract, too, unless you include an escape clause, you know, uh, an affair clause. Wouldn't that be interesting? It's like, well, if you ever find me unattractive and you still want to stay married, then I have an escape clause. I'm going to go date, <laughs> you know, and that could be for the man or the woman. That'd be an interesting uh, addition to the, the contract. Or would that void the contract? That's really interesting. Why do men stop finding women attractive? Is that an emotional thing? She's become a bitch and unhappy and ungrateful, or is it a physical thing, or can it be both? Oh, I think, yeah, I think overt. I think uh, that if I find a woman attractive, uh, just, on the, just on the physical attractiveness, I'm always going to find them attractive. Whatever it is that, that, that floats my boat, they're attractive. Now, does that mean I'm going to want to have sex with them if they're a total, you know, B-word? No. <laughs> so in other words, the attractiveness on the physical level, uh, I think, is different for guys than the actual doing things with them on, on, the, on, the, on the, the practical, on the actual level. So someone can be physically attractive who's horrible. You might never want to have sex with them. It's like, I think, uh, you know, glamour people, uh, women that high maintenance, let's talk about high maintenance, you know, trophy wise. Wow, geez, she's really attractive, but I'm glad she's married to that guy. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to go near her. She's too much work. You know, so I think there's a difference with guys that we look at, you can be physically attracted. So what you want to do is, is be physically attracted to someone that you absolutely love madly, that's your best friend, and that you, you know you're going to be, you know, I think guys maintain attraction. I think they really do. How else would, would here's another question too. How, how do people have sex with their exes? How do people have, have you know, divorced people end up, you know, oh, in God, bed together? I don't know. I don't either. I mean, I, but, you know, um, but I, but for, but for me personally, in terms of attractiveness, if I find a woman attractive, I'm always going to find a woman attractive. Uh, yeah, that's what a do you fascinating. Think? Um, that's a fascinating con- concept. Okay. Huh. Right. Which one? Because, the, the contract. You know, I a, the the. I, I really a, want to do well, this. Well, the fact or, having sex yeah. with your ex, like, uh-huh. that's very interesting. So I have a really good friend who is divorced, but continued to have pretty good sex with his wife up until up until he moved out, and they separately agreed to separate. And so it's kind of a fascinating concept to me because most women I know, when they're not happy in the relationship, they can't have sex or the sex is not good unless they're Uh really good at faking it and they just want to have peace. Um, So, yeah, the attraction was still there for both of them. Um, They just fought a whole lot. They fought so much they agreed to just get divorced. But I don't know. For me, I'm, I'm like. When do you think about if this one? I can still have sex huge. with somebody if I still right. want to have. I thank you, Greg. It's huge, right? Because yeah. this is like a very big contradiction. Like, if okay. I can still have sex with somebody as a woman, there is mm-hmm. a lot of love and respect there. It means I respect the man, and I love him, and I want him to love me. 
So what happens? Well, it gets back to the, the comfortably dysfunctional. In other words, you know, if you come from a dysfunctional family, as I do, uh, horribly dysfunctional. My childhood was a, it was a nightmare of many things, even though I had, oh, outwardly, I had, you know, great adventures and lived in different countries. And, you know, I'm not going to go into that, but it, it modeled my relationships and, and marriage. And, and so, but it was very comfortable to be in a dysfunctional situation. Now it's not. So I've made that transition. I know I don't want to be you know, something has to be comfortable and functional. You know, I, I don't believe in dysfunctional comfort, but it seems to me that people that are having sex with their, their former partners, whether their relationship or marriage, especially marriage, because that's, that's the big commitment. You know, there's got to be, there's got to be something into comfortable dysfunctionality. And I just made up that term today, but does it make sense? Comfortable dysfunctionality. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it feels like home, feels familiar, even though yeah. I'm, even though it's like two sides to me. The one side that's tortured and hates it and feels awful all the time, and the other side is like, uh-huh. no, no, this is good. We're good. We're good. This is the way it's supposed to be. See? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So do people so they much stay, stay together also, for the and, kids? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, w- I was just on that same, like, there's so much that applies to that in all of our lives. Like, are you uh-huh. uncomfortable? Do you have limiting beliefs about what, how much money you deserve in your job? So you're going to stay here in your uncomfortable brokenness even though you uh-huh. should have asked for a raise five years ago, like all those uh-huh. things that applies everywhere, right? Like break out of your comfort zone and your limiting beliefs, right? Whatever it is. Yes. I don't worry about comfort zone. <laughs> My whole life has been uncomfortable. I don't have a comfort zone because <laughs> I haven't really oh, been comfortable. So. such a beautiful place to be. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, I me, mean it's, it's a beautiful well, place to be, but the, but, but the road here is, is, is rather torturous. When I say I've never been yeah. comfortable, I mean it. I have never felt safe. I have never felt secure and loved. I have never felt, you know, I don't even feel a part of the <sighs> country in, a lot, in many respects because I grew up in three different countries. I don't have an, I had no yeah. identity. I mean, I've got one now, but I had to okay. go through a couple of years of depression and a really strong journey to come from a place of no comfort. I mean, honest to God, I never felt comfortable. Uh, some people talk about, you know, the security of their family. It's like, what the hell is that? You know, or it's like, you know, they, they identify with their, their nation and the patriotism. And I identify with this country. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm as constitutional as anybody you're going to find. But I had to do it consciously. It wasn't organic. It wasn't something that I was born with or was, was taught. I got it on my own. And so as far as comfort, and I'm really, this is about, we do reveal a lot here. But uh, quite honestly, um, part of the reason I am so fearless now about everything it's because I've never mm-hmm. been comfortable. comfortable. Being comfortable and secure is not, those, are, those words, I know what they mean, but they're not in my vocabulary. They are not a part of my experience. But because of that, the flip side, and there's always a flip side, is the freedom that I have to be you know, uncomfortable and not worry about it. In fact, I don't even think about being uncomfortable. To me, it's just a challenge. And so I have a rare freedom. But on the other hand, it also makes it very difficult for me to bond with people because I don't have that same level of comfort and security because it's not important. I don't even know what they mean figure that one out. Mm. Better listen to the podcast. That's a lot. Yeah. Big time. Well, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so really I feel like reflecting on that again, that, that goes to the spiritual and the divine, like the confession. I, what you, all you just said and said, so these miraculous pathways open up, right? Where Mm -hmm. the homeless find a home that's perfect for them in their mm-hmm. homelessness feeling, right? Like, mm. which I feel like you've created for yourself on the radio show, you know? This is my home. Um, this is my, well, actually, this is my home and my family. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. my family are people I've never met, like you. You're part of my family, mm-hmm. you know, more so oh, than my own family. I am. Oh, it's true. You know, I mean, I open mm-hmm. up to you and things. I love that. Part of the world. I love you know, that. that I, I don't I, talk about this kind of stuff, you know, on a, on a daily basis. I do with you, though, because I trust you. 
And the fact that it's yes. being recorded is I'm, okay well, too. I'm a safe place. I'm a safe <laughs> place because all of the ideas are welcome. All mm-hmm. of the humanity is welcome. There is not one thing someone can tell me they did or wanted to do that mm-hmm. on some level I can't relate to. And here we go. Even someone who murdered someone, we've all had the thoughts before, like this person is so difficult in my life. I and then the secret them. little thought, what if I just, yeah, wouldn't my life be easier? That sounds horrible. And most of us, the vast majority no. of us, would never. It's not horrible it, but... to think it. It's horrible to do it. And that's, that's, what, yeah. that's the difference between uh, a sociopath and a psychopath and someone with a conscience. You can think it. Sometimes it's fun to think of really petty things, you know, like, like buying the radio station. Well, the I think you have to be careful. Doesn't mean I want to well, do you it. Need to be careful the thoughts you allow in. I believe Ooh. that also. So don't entertain okay. those thoughts for very long because there's a dark yeah, I energy have petty thoughts. thoughts. I don't have dangerous thoughts. I don't wish anybody harm. I mean, I really don't. I really, yeah. even, even the people have done me, I don't wish them harm. But I do have some really petty things I would do just to amuse myself. I'm guilty of that. So, yeah, what I'm saying is there's nothing that can be really brought up that I think, you know, as long as it's not acted on, would, would mm-hmm. disturb me, shock me, or turn me off, or, or just, you know, get me to a point where I wanted to distance but, um, oh, my gosh, where else was I going with that? That's okay. With We're almost out of time anyway. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's lovely uh, to have it. Oh, this is where, Greg. Go ahead. So you had said that your family is your – the radio show is like your family and the, and the co-hosts and the guests. And so in nursing school, you know, I had a master's in, in nursing, and one of my favorite instructors always told us, she always emphasized, your patient – your client, your patient is your client, and their family is who they say it is. It is not your job to ask for blood relationship proof. It is not your job to quiz them. If they say, my spouse is, wants to visit me in here in the ICU, please sign the paper to allow them to come in, that's what you do. You don't ask for proof marriage certificate because, you know, a lot of people don't have family. They had to reform their family as adults because they're so dysfunctional or just they just lost their family. So if they, have a, if they have a life partner, let's say they're gay, and, and, and they are not allowed to get married in the state you're in, but they say that's mm-hmm. my spouse, it is not our room to ask questions. If someone says my mother, and it's not her biological mother, it's the, it's the woman that took her under the wing at age 20 when she was homeless, and, like it's not our job. Your family mm-hmm. is who they say they are because the biological connections are one thing, but the spiritual connections that God gives us in our life are much stronger in my opinion, I'll be honest. And um, so I think it's a lovely a lovely. Um, notion that you expressed that that um, the radio show has become your family and what yeah, is really a family oh it's unbelievable <laughs> you know there's more love in this group than you could possibly imagine uh, this is why I hope you know to get to know some of the other reporters I'd love to get us together in fact I was thinking of this place uh, how do you spell Nicoya Peninsula how do you spell that I'm gonna look it up N-I-N-I-C-O-Y-A and it's if you look at a map of Costa Rica it's the top left it's on the mm-hmm I think we need to go there for a week with all of us, with all our reporters, and just kind of show up there sometime and uh, do like a, a weekly broadcast or a broadcast for a week in a workshop. I got my friend in Belize when I want to do the same thing, too. So we got some traveling to do. I think you'd like We could workshop, and we could have a mini retreat also. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be really interesting. Yeah, it would. See, we're just getting started. <laughs> all these wonderful things. Especially I love talking to you. I really do. And, and, what's that again? A health and wellness retreat. Yeah. So well, put some together. Let's go. Let's, uh, we got people from all over the country. <laughs> you know, in fact, the, the irony of this is most of the people that I'm closest to on the show I've never met. I only know them through the radio. 
In fact, I haven't even seen them. Mm-hmm. I know what they look like, you know, picture-wise from Facebook and stuff. But these are people I've never met. And yet, you know, they, like you, keep calling every week. And we, we have these reports and people do work and they investigate things and they bring stuff to the show that is incredible all the time. And nobody's paid yet. We will be. I mean, I'm, you know, as soon as we get the, you know, the, big, the big stuff coming out, I'll tell you some stuff off the air. There's a lot of things happening. Um, my, we had Peter McCullough on last week, Dr. Peter McCullough. You should check that interview from Wednesday. That was huge. Uh, we've got uh, Christina Bach coming I just up this saw week. that you did that, and I was going to say, yeah. I'm so proud of you. That is a very exciting – I missed well, it. I was you. traveling, but that is a, that yeah. is a great uh, proud For an hour. I think, to have him. Woo. For an hour, yeah. Well, uh, and we talked about our citizen legislation. vacuuming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Turn it up. <laughs> but uh, we, have, we have friends. You know, you know, we have, like I say, our, our secret agent, our, our man behind the curtain. You know, there are people out there watching what we're doing. And they're sort of hanging back. I wish they were a little more overt, actually. You know, but uh, some things are happening in the background uh, as far as, you know, getting us known and our citizen legislation. I want to connect with the Trump campaign. That's what I'm going to talk to. Christina Bob's coming on. Uh, she's one of Trump's attorneys. She's a One American News reporter. She's got a background in the State Department. She's brilliant. She's a lawyer. Uh, she's highly educated, highly intelligent, and I think would really appreciate what we do here. Then I'm going to talk about her book because that's, that's what I do with, with folks when they, when they come to the show. Um, they have a book to talk about, but I always take about five minutes to talk about action radio. And sometimes that's, that's the best part. Of it. It's certainly the best part for me. But stuff's happening. This is going to be a very interesting year in terms of advocacy. So stick around. It's going to be fun. It, of course. <laughs> it's yeah. been delightful. I'm glad we got to talk about Latin dancing and the similarities in masculine feminine energy exchange. We argued a little bit. We saw eye to eye on most points. We don't and, argue. Um, we, we discuss enthusiastically. I yeah, I love it too. <laughs> but see, you can disagree with me anytime you want. I don't care. You know, but oh, yeah. that's, that's no, the whole no, point. No, no, that's part of it. If we agreed on everything, yeah. it was not very interesting. Really the boring. Perspective and, well, and men and women, the masculine. Mm-hmm. men and women will never agree 100% because we're different. Mm. Ooh, there's a thought. Because we speak a different language. We're different people. Huh. Yeah. Think about that. That's yeah. right. And it's important about that for and, you to share and, and, well, what men might um, think, because yeah. I do come from a very feminine perspective, although I oh, love I men and the masculine. Mm-hmm. And so you tend to um, present, well, you know, what about the man's point of view? And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. I do care. I care a I lot, know you do. but I don't always, but you know, I, you don't think of I, it. I see, tend to see mm-hmm. things from, well, I do, because if yeah. men aren't happy, we're not happy. Everyone needs to be happy, uplifted, and mm-hmm. have their needs met. That's essential. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that's my job here is to, is to present the, the guy perspective. So why don't you give your contact mm-hmm. information? Let's, I'm so glad to have you back. It's great. And I want to – anything else, you, you know, your topics are, are, are you know, fair game to, uh, to bring up. But, again, I just love the fact that we, we go wherever we go. <laughs> we never know where – we don't rehearse this, folks. This is not preplanned. Trust me. Anyway, so uh, contact and um, uh, let's do it so, next week. Yeah, so I'm Dorothy Diana on Facebook, and my website's yoniyoon.com, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com. And I mostly work with women in sensual embodied feminine movement, helping them re- reclaim their sexuality, their femininity, and have super, a lot of fun while getting uh, healthy. And I also detox. So anyway, a little bit of everything. Sounds good. I got to talk about the detox stuff too, because I, I want to start to like a program on that as well. And I've got some other wellness friends around that want to do the same thing. So I mean, know, it's help, essential help right thing. now, Greg. Whew, we're being assaulted by so many toxins, but that's a, I don't want to get into that energy. We'll just end on the positive no, sexuality no, no. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> sexuality, sexuality, it's always fun to talk about. You know, it's even more fun to do. 
So, yeah, there we go. <laughs> That'd be a good slogan for the show. Sex, fun to talk about, more fun to do. On that note, <laughs> bye, Dorothy. Bye. Have a great week. You too. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H-Care.com. You can email them 
at gracecare.advm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, this has been such a fun show that uh, I, I kind of saved all, all our commercials for the end um, just because, you know, I didn't want to interrupt. You know, we had Rebecca Hardy at first from uh, Texans for Vaccine Choice. We had Jonathan Mosley. Uh, we had Pianchi Collin. We had uh, Dorothy Diana for, the, for our last hour. So the whole hour, the whole show was filled with guests uh, and reporters. and It was really fun to do. So our main website is the one you're, you're listening to right now, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative site where all the real action uh, happens in terms of bills is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And if you want to uh, help sponsor us here, uh, you've got givesendgo.com slash action radio, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And we also have a PayPal account for uh, those that want to have commercials like the ones I've made here already. So tomorrow, We've got uh, Brianna Cannon with Government Inquiry. In the first hour, we've got uh, Josie Cossie, uh, fresh from, uh, from Tennessee at the Reawaken America Tour uh, with the Latino Report. And the third hour, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think I figured out that far yet. But uh, probably you know, get some news and catch up. I think I'll talk about the, the 737 Boeing uh, airline pilots who are, are dangerously uh, injured with the vaccine and uh, you know, airline liability. Who knows what else we'll get to, but that's what we do here. A couple of announcements, and I'm out of here, and then I'll play one musical selection, and I will talk to you all again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time.
This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. So if you want to get back to that warm and fuzzy mood of our of our sex and sensuality chat, uh, I have a, our musical selection for Monday. I always try to end on a musical selection. And so hopefully this will get you back in the mood and you'll have all that wonderful sexual and sensual energy all day long. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 